My friends, it has been a very, very spicy past couple of days. Last night, we got word that the Biden family, Joe Biden's son and his brother, are under federal criminal investigations. Now, they're trying to pass it off as though it's just, you know, Hunter says it's about his taxes. But now we actually have confirmation that it actually involves potential money laundering and illicit business dealings with China. Illicit business dealings that were facilitated in part by Joe Biden, who flew his son on Air Force Two to China to negotiate a private equity deal. We also had a former family confidant, Tony Bobulinski, who said that he believes the Bidens are compromised. The media covered this story up. Social media banned the story when it came out. NPR said it wasn't news. It was a distraction. And now, just about a month after the election, we are being told by Politico, it's an explosive political story that will rock the Biden administration. So why did they block us from hearing about it, from knowing about it? Why did they lie? I think this is one of the biggest media scandals in U.S. history. But we actually have bigger news than this. 20 states have filed amici briefings joining or I should say supporting the defendant states in the Supreme Court request for leave. Okay, so this is I'm not a lawyer, but let me try and break it down. Texas filed, uh, asked permission to the Supreme Court to file a lawsuit against four states for violating the electors clause of the Constitution. Texas wants these four states to appoint their electors, the, the legislatures to appoint their electors, effectively saying Trump wins if that's what the legislatures choose. So far now, 17 other states have signed a brief supporting this suit. And I believe four or five actually filed intervention asking to be listed as plaintiffs in the case, saying as they have suffered injury as well. And now 20 states on the other side, blue states, as well as two territories, are filing a brief on behalf of the defendants. What do you call it when half the country lines up against the other half of the country saying that I reject you, uh, your president and this election? I don't know where all this goes, but I think things are going to get absolutely insane. We actually have at least one guy in Texas saying it's time for Texas, a state representative, calling for Texas to declare its right to secede from the union. We got a bunch more. Tulsi Gabbard uh, uh, pr- uh, proposing a bill effectively supporting Trump's calls to get rid of Section 230. She says that we have to, these, these companies have to treat people fairly, not censor them. So, man, we just got... We got way too much. Facebook is being sued by 48 states. I don't even know how much we're going to be able to get to. But I must say, we have a very, very important guest. We have Matt Brainerd on the show. Matt is, I guess you're the founder of the Voter Integrity Project. That's correct. Do you want to briefly explain just, you know, what what is you you, you do? Sure. Um, well, I'm a political consultant, which is a dirty word in this town, but I've, I've worked in campaigns all around the country um, over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years, going back to the mid-90s. Um, I was the director of data and strategy for Trump's campaign in 2016, at least through the primaries. And uh, after the election, there were a lot of questions being raised, and I decided to create the Voter Integrity Project to try to identify uh, anomalies, uh, potential anomalies. I didn't start it with any preconceived notions of what I'd find. I thought, you know, maybe I'll find nothing and it was a clean election. Maybe I'll find a few things that don't make a difference, or maybe I'll find a lot. And those findings have uh, resulted in you know, uh, become the basis of court cases, become the basis of uh, legislative hearings, um, and also brought a lot of scrutiny to the syst- the election system we have in this country and how how badly managed it is across so many different states. So, um, so far, the you know the project's been doing pretty well, but it's about time to you know it, it's in the litigation phase, and and uh, I'm just very grateful to all the donors, the folks in my team uh, who helped us put together all this data, and uh, 
what we try to do is that if we're going to find something, it wasn't going to be speculation or theories um, or you know com- some kind of complex mathematical formula. It was going to be actual material. And now that actual material is in the hands of lawyers and litigators, and uh, uh, perhaps it will have an impact on the outcome. There's ongoing litigation in many states, as well as I'm referencing these, you know, 20 states versus 20 states or whatever. So I'm there's, there's a lot of things I'm pretty sure you can't talk about because it could theoretically compromise something. So, but uh, is it is it can you can you uh, can you call it evidence? I have submitted evidence of potentially legal ballots in six states. So and actually, uh, instantly more states, um, when we look at uh, double voting. So yeah, all that's been submitted. But you know, I can't get too deep into it, because it is involving ongoing litigation. And uh, but we can speak about generally yeah. how the system works. Sure. So uh, I can say one thing. Uh, and I'll try to be really careful. But there have been some statements made by Matt on Twitter about potentially illegal ballots, uh, evidence, and I've reviewed some of this information and independently corroborated what appears to be backing up claims. I'm trying to be vague because of the ongoing litigation, but I can just say, uh, based on what I've seen and independently, independently verified, I believe Matt is correct and telling the truth. And I guess we'll see how it plays out in court. So let's, we'll, 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 we look for all, I know there's a lot of people who are listening and they're just like, get more specific, get juicy. You know, we could theoretically just come out and say, like, here's everything and publish everything. And then you lose the court case. And I'm sure nobody wants it to happen. And I think that the judge might be uh, the litigators and this might be upset because we want to make sure we respect the court process. So that's really important. That being said, we're going to read about what's going on with this. Uh, uh, the responses. Oh, I want to. Can I jump in? I yeah, of course. I, wanna, I hate to interrupt, but no problem. Any, all the all the questions that we can't ask now and answer now, I'm more than happy to answer them everything in excruciating detail once the litigation is done. So that's the only, it's not that I don't want to answer. It's just, it's a delay. Right, right, right. Well, we want, I, I think it's about respecting the courts. Right, exactly. Whether, whether it's for or against Trump, I think the judges and the people who are working this process, some of them might not make good decisions, but we, I, I respect the courts. And I think, you know, a lot of these judges would, would appreciate the respect of us not litigating their case in, in the court of public opinion. But we'll, we're going to talk about it. We are. Uh, also joining us again is Luke Rutkowski because he lives in my parking lot. Yes, I corroborated the corroborators as we were finding out all their information. Hi, I am the capo behind wearechange.org. And yes, I live in Tim Pool's parking lot. Thanks for having me on. I have a parking lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's actually a big driveway, but <laughs> you can fit a trailer in it. Ian's hanging out. He's got the crystal ball and the, and the beautiful Aurora Borealis painting. It's gorgeous. It's crushed quartz. Is that what it is? Yeah. Wow. Cool. It's a quartz ball? Yeah, they crush wow. it in a laboratory. That's crazy. Kings would trade their their entire treasures, their treasuries for things like this in the Middle Ages, and now we make them in a laboratory for 80 bucks. Right on. Seems Sour like Patch a good deal. Lids is also producing. I'm here usual. in the corner pushing buttons. So if you haven't already, smash that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all those great platforms, and give us good reviews to help out the show, and share the show with your friends if you think we're doing a good job. I think we're going to have a, a relatively spicy conversations, but the first big story, we're going to get into it after you smash that like button. Check this out. This is the actual document from SupremeCourt.gov. They say state of Texas plaintiff versus the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, state of Georgia, state of Michigan, and state of Wisconsin defendants. I don't want to read all of these states. I'm going to read all these states, okay? Motion for leave to file and brief for the District of Columbia and the states and territories of California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Guam, Hawaii, Nevada, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, U.S. Virgin Islands, Washington have all been, are, are now party 
in opposition to Texas. And they basically just say that, you know, they have the right to, uh, you know, they're, they're asserting their right to join the defendants, I suppose, and issue a statement on their behalf. So, I mean, that's about it in terms of the breaking news. But we do have the direct response from these states. This is from AMNY. States respond to Texas Trumpists Supreme Court lawsuit seeking to throw out the results of the U.S. election. For those that aren't familiar with what Texas is requesting, Texas said that these four states that are listed as the defendants have violated the electors clause of the Constitution, which states the state legislatures have the ultimate authority in who decides you know, the elections and, and who the electors are. But in these states, the courts overruled in certain circumstances or the governors implemented new rules without permission or confirmation from the legislatures. Therefore, and for a variety of other reasons, I'm not going to get into the full breakdown of their lawsuit is they're basically saying Texas and all 17 states now either supporting or asking to intervene to join are saying that the state legislatures should be the ones who choose the electors. They're Republican state legislatures. They would very likely vote for Trump or perhaps they would abstain. And if they did, Joe Biden would not reach 270 electoral votes. We would likely move to a contingent election based on House delegations in which Donald Trump would win. Oh, of course, if they chose their electors, Trump would win. So these other states are basically saying no. And now we have half the country lining up against the other half, arguing about who the next president is supposed to be. I wonder how that will play out. But the four states had to issue their response by today, and they did. And so AM New York says, Four U.S. states that President Donald Trump lost in the November 3rd election on Thursday began to file court papers opposing a long-shot Republican-backed lawsuit filed by Trump-supporting Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton in the Lone Star State's name at the Supreme Court seeking to undo President-elect Joe Biden's victory. I like how they say it's just in Texas's name. It's like not actually Texas doing it. Officials from Georgia, Maine, I'm sorry, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin already have called the lawsuit which aims to throw out the results, a reckless attack on democracy. The Supreme Court gave the four states a 3 p.m. EST deadline to file court papers. Pennsylvania was the first to file, with the state's Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro saying that the Texas lawsuit was adding a cacophony of bogus false claims about the election. Quote, what Texas is doing in this proceeding is to ask this court to reconsider a mass of baseless claims about problems with the election that have already been considered and rejected by this court and other courts. The lawsuit is supported by Trump and 17 other states. The Republican president has falsely claimed he won re-election and has made baseless allegations of widespread voting fraud. State election officials have said they found no evidence of such fraud. I want to I want to stop there. Can I ask you about that? About the lawsuit? Well, just about the state election officials saying they found no evidence of such fraud. Is there anything you can comment in that regard? Because well, I don't want to. I'm not going to comment. I'm going to question. I'm going to question is what did they do to find it? What efforts did they make to discover it? Because if I close my eyes and, and you come here and, and take my drink and I don't see you do it, I don't have any evidence you took it because I close my eyes, right? But if I'm sitting there drinking that Red Bull. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, so I, well, that's me. my question is that what evidence can they provide that they applied scrutiny to what happened? And it, of course you didn't find anything if you didn't look for it. It's, you know, it's not, it's rarely is it so blatant. It takes a lot of effort. And I, you know, our own little independent project, we crowdfunded about, Six well, more than now, but uh, $580,000 to sort of fund it on our own using very, you know, tools that were available to us. Why wasn't the state doing this? What what scrutiny did they apply to detect I'm, I'm, this? I'm actually shocked by a lot of uh, these court cases where, you know, I think in Nevada, the Trump campaign presented actual evidence and the court just said, get out of my courtroom. They didn't care. 
They, they didn't even want to look at what was given to them. And then what we end up seeing is officials say there was no evidence. There was, there was none. I, I liken it to, you know, if I said, hey, you guys want to play hide and seek? And then everyone goes and hides. And then I'd be like, you guys won just like literally right away. Uh, well, I couldn't find you. It's like yeah. you didn't even get out of your chair. Oh, well, you know, I couldn't find you. To what, to what degree am I obligated? I don't know if you saw, uh, have you been following the lawsuits at all from the Trump campaign? Well, I've been involved with some of them, so. Right, 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 right. So, of course. But uh, the ones not involving, you know, your project or whatever. One of the things that I just want to say, and, and feel free to comment on what you can or can't, you know, just ignore. But in, in Pennsylvania, a judge ruled that the election law in Pennsylvania says there has to be observers. And Trump's campaign said the observers weren't allowed near the ballots. So how are they observing? And the judge goes, well, I don't know. The law doesn't specify distance. So as long as they're in the building, it's good which is clearly not good faith or to the spirit of the law is supposed to do. And that's the gist of what we've been seeing across the board. So this whole thing is freaking me out, to be honest. Now that, now that we're seeing all of these states line up, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, what? I'm going to put it this way. These 20 states and two territories that are saying, oh, we reject this. It's, it's you know, these four states have said it's an attack on democracy. It doesn't even matter what their opinion on this is, because they're not going to change the minds of 18 other states. We're, we're at a point now where 18 states have said definitively Biden should not be president. I mean, well, I should say effectively said Biden should not be president or that the elector, the Constitution has been violated. Texas's lawsuit says either the Constitution matters or it's just a parchment sitting in the National Archives. That's a powerful statement with 17 states signing on in support of it. Some actually asking to intervene to be listed as, as, as plaintiffs uh, in the case, in which case, if the Supreme Court refuses to hear this, then these 17 states have already asserted that would that would be a declaration the Constitution is meaningless. And these other states could effectively say the same thing. If the Supreme Court can say no to this election, you know, uh, Joe Biden isn't going to be president because we've ruled it, they'll, they'll argue it's the exact same thing. So that's why I just look at this and I'm like, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter what this one judge said. People have been lining up and they know they're right on both sides. They both say they're right. I happen to think one side is more right than other. Obviously, we all have our biases, but everyone thinks they're right. Right. And, you know, let's, there are many causes to this, but one, I think the major contributor to all of this is how badly the states manage elections. We've been very lucky because historically many uh, elections are won by somebody by a pretty good sized margin. Um, and what happens is when there's a good enough margin, the mismanagement, um, is covered up, right? It's concealed. But when the margins are close, sometimes that mismanagement and mismanagement comes in other, you know, variety of things. It could be, uh, creating clerical errors or preventing, um, potential fraud. So for example, there's really very little authentication done on mail-in battles, essentially zero and very little authentication done on election day ballots. We had a James O'Keefe show up in DC and take the attorney general's ballot. They gave it to him. Said, "Hey, I'm the attorney." <laughs> they used his Wait, name. That, was that this this time around, or oh, it was a couple of cycles back? But I, right, right. Think I, you I, got I remember better? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the election system has, right or wrong, created a space for suspicion to burn like a wildfire because it's so badly managed. And here's here's something to think about, right? Potholes on the highway, right? We're kind of used to the government maybe not doing the best job of that. Your mail getting lost. We're we're kind of a, you know, okay, so yeah, postal service. This is always a joke. It's a punchline, right? Or um, let's say you're uh, Medicare not paying a bill that it should pay, and you have to fight with them. We're all used to that. But one thing that I don't think a democracy can survive is that kind of uh, government uh, 
those kinds of uh, bad uh, management within the election system or with that kind of incompetence in the election system, because that's the thing that allows us to potentially fix all of these other problems. So we're okay with maybe the potholes don't get fixed or, or maybe you know, they mismanage a hurricane, which is horrific, right? But the means we have to fix those problems is the election system. So, but if that is deemed broken, well, then you're stuck. Then yeah. you can't fix any problem beyond it. I always, I always say, if you want someone to be an anarchist, put him at the DMV for a week. And we saw that with, with the, <laughs> the, the counting that, that was going on that showed just, wait, states can't even count? They're the, taking the breaks? Seems, There's well, what's well, going on so, here? So I'll, let's address that, right? Yeah. The left has said, uh, the Democrats, the reason why it took longer to count votes after Election Day was because when people go and vote in person, they, they walk in. And then someone asks them their name, they're given their ballot, or they go to the machine and they type in things and they press enter. All of that's done right away. When an absentee vote is being counted, they grab the envelope, they look at it, they open it. It takes longer to go through the envelope than it is to have a person walk in, vote, and walk out. So the argument is, when a person walks in and votes and walks out, it's already in the tabulation machine. When they're going through absentee ballots, doing signature verification, it takes a bit longer to tabulate that vote. And thus, it took a lot longer. But what doesn't make sense, in my opinion, is then why they dumped all of these batches, you know, at, you know, really early in the morning at once. And it still took more than one day to do all of this. And these, these batches came in. So if you look at, I think like November 4th at like one in the morning, there were massive spikes. Well, if they were counting on election day as people came in and they didn't start counting the ballots until election day, why do we have you know, not the, the ballots being entered in at a certain point. I guess the argument is they were barred from doing it. I, don't, I still don't think it makes sense as to how, in some circumstances, Trump received uh, uh, a tiny fraction of of these yeah. these these mail in ballot dumps. That's that's the big question that I think needs to be answered. And, and there was also legal arguments in Pennsylvania before the election asking the government to count the votes that were mailed in early. The the government of Pennsylvania argued against that. And well, that was Republicans. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, when we look at Florida, I think Florida is the most interesting case because we saw that they were caught with their pants down in 2000, and then they kind of updated their voting system, and they had the votes in right away. All these other states, we don't have one universal standard or one kind of voting machine or one kind but, of but system to count the votes. And I think that's also something to really think about here. I, I, I hear you, yeah. but each state runs their own election. Exactly. And I, I, I can respect that. But what I can't respect is, l let me, let me based, based off what you just said, let me give people an analogy. Would you be willing to get on an airplane if, the, if airlines had a 1% failure rate? 1%. I think the answer answer is a resounding no. Well, there would be no airline industry in that scenario. Because they'd be paying out lawsuits every day. Well, because no one would fly. Right. I mean. So New York Times reported in 2012 that the failure rate of mail-in and absentee voting is between 1% and 2%. If I told you there was a 1% chance that if you mailed in your vote, it would not count? Well, I think a lot of people probably would be like, oh, whatever, I don't care. But that's a pretty, pretty bold bet to make to not having your voice heard in your election. So when I when I saw that we there was this and this is a big part of the lawsuit going uh, going forward with um, uh, Mike Kelly and Sean Parnell pertaining to the constitutionality of mail-in voting in, in Pennsylvania, there's a few weird things. But when I saw that all of these changes have been implemented a year in advance before COVID and then during COVID to have mass mail-in voting, I mean we saw in Patterson, New Jersey, a whole election was thrown out. A judge actually ordered a new election in Patterson, New Jersey, because they found bundles of mail-in votes from a town over. We now have a whistleblower who's come out and said they drove a truckload of ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. 
I'm, I, I don't know if that's true. You know, witness testimony is is often unreliable, but it is still evidence admitted in court. So it needs to be considered. It needs to be investigated. We need to look into these things and not just ignore them. And so I, I guess I throw it back to what you said earlier. How hard have any of these people actually looked into any of the stuff? Right, right. And, you know, I actually can talk about one court case. I actually won a court case in federal court early this year over mismanagement of an election because, you know, a lot of these states are doing things they haven't done before. Florida, the mail-in ballot situation, they have that, they have that down. Mm-hmm. They know they've got it down. Um, the voters have it down. They know their role. But a lot of these states that because of, um, the pandemic and, and other reasons are shifting to things they've never done before. Idaho, uh, decided they were going to do an all mail-in ballot, um, uh, primary, right? And I had a candidate there. I was on the ground and, uh, the absentee ballot request deadline was coming up and secretary of state was going out, you know, telling everybody, you just go to the website until, uh, 5 PM on the deadline day and, and go ahead and request your absentee ballot. Well, we were, we were identifying our supporters, many of whom didn't know that and telling them, yeah, go to the website and request. Well, Website crashed, completely went down. Now, rather than owning the problem, right, the Secretary of State fought us in court. We had to sue them in federal court to get them to extend that deadline. And, you know, something to keep in mind is that this system that we're being critical of, the people who are responsible and have the, uh, the ability to change it, who are running things, they were elected by this system. They're in control of it. And it's, it is what put them in power. So, uh, getting them to realize that there's serious problems with it. They're like, well, it put me here. I got this job. I've got this power. Why would I want to change it? I think we see that with Republicans and Democrats, yep. right? So it's, you, you look at areas that are, you know, deep blue or deep red. And we, I, I had a guy on the show. His name was Billy Prempe. He's a, a Republican running in North Jersey. And I think Patterson is, is part of the district he was running in. And he, he was, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my, I, I want to make sure I'm being careful here. But my understanding of the conversation was he was not getting any support from the Republican Party because they were like, it's too expensive to even bother with a deep blue district. And I'm like, well, if you have an area that's, you know, D plus 20 and an area that's R plus 20, and you don't even bother trying to talk to people and talk about what is important for this country, then they will never change. But I think the real, the real issue is that the Republicans are like, no, 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 we don't mess with their safe spaces and they don't mess with ours. So I get guaranteed reelection and so do they. And we kind of just chill out on it. It's not a battleground area. Why push it? And that's my opinion on it. There, there's some evidence that I think it's more of a vicious cycle and that uh, the district looks like no Republican win because it's D plus 20. So no good Republican run. So the only Republicans that run are bad candidates who ended up losing by 20 points. And that's why it's D plus 20. Right. You know, I, I, going back in history, though, I think. Um, you remember a guy named Howard Dean? Vaguely, yes. Well, after he lost his presidential race, he took over the DNC. Uh, oh, that was he, a while ago. Yeah. Well, this. It, but the, I think the the what I'm getting at is is still true. Is, is he it, the yeehaw guy? Yes. yes. He is. <laughs> well, I was about to make that thing is, <laughs> He was a terrible presidential candidate, but a fantastic DNC chair, and he did something novel. He says, "Look, we're going to have a 50 state plan." We're not letting South Carolina go. We're not letting Alabama go. We're going to invest resources in all 50 states. And just a few years after that, they retook Congress, winning yeah. seats in many of these states. So parties can neglect areas saying, oh, we don't stand a chance there at, at their own peril. But before you were able to win that district, you had a guy that got a 30% of the vote. And then another guy got 40 and 45 and then 50. And then you built something up there. So um, I, I agree with you that mining your own territory, there's certainly something to that, but also it's just this vicious cycle of ignoring areas that you don't think you can win well it it it's self-fulfilling yeah when you look at the gerrymandering and some of the dirty tricks and politics that they especially played on individuals like cynthia mckinney 
uh, it was just absolutely incredible to see just the maneuvering, the repositioning, the redistricting that happened in order to get a favorable outcome, even towards their Democratic allies that didn't play along with their kind of party party establishment line. And I remember during this cycle seeing what happened in Iowa during the Democratic primaries and thinking, oh boy, we are in trouble. Because <laughs> if you remember, we didn't have a result uh, from that as well. And that was a Democratic right. primary. And I'm like, wait, they can't even get this right? New York was jammed up too. Yeah. I can actually give you one good argument for gerrymandering though. So uh, often what people will show when they're arguing against gerrymandering is you'll have, you know, like it's like a grid of blocks and there'll be like blue and red. And they'll say, you know, it's 40% red and 60% blue. And here's how they gerrymander it to make sure you get more Republican representation than Democrat. However, my response to that is if 40% of your state is Republican, and you do districts just by blocks, then you will get zero representation for one for forty percent of this of the you will that's gonna breed chaos. Yeah. Forty percent of the people feeling like they're not being represented. So there 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 is a good reason for gerrymandering. I just think the actual outcome of gerrymandering is exploitation to manipulate and guarantee seats and jobs. And well, stuff like uh, you know, it's funny you bring this up because I actually am a professional gerrymanderer. I work oh, for the nation's premier uh, So everyone hates you. Uh, for all kinds <laughs> of reasons. Um, but uh, I work for the nation's premier redistricting firm uh, for about 12 years, and I helped with drawing lines in the city of Chicago, Illinois, Rhode Island, Arizona, all these different places, congressional down to city. And I'll be honest with you, um, I don't think there's a fair way to draw a line because if you don't – some people, let's say you draw the line on party, right? Okay, well, that's, that gives you a favorable outcome to party, but what's the alternative, drawing it based on geography? Well, that gives a favorable outcome to you know certain geographies. Yeah, right. So there's there's really no – way that there's no way to draw the lines that somebody can't say well that's not fair because this person's at a disadvantage and you can make the case too is that if you draw a district that gets you you pack all your democrats in the state into one district it's 90 percent democrat and all the republicans around it are winning by 55 percent right here's the thing though in that democrat district the democrat won by 90 percent of the vote 90 percent of the people there are had their choice selected and sent to congress whereas in the republican districts only 40 percent of the people uh 55% of the people, or 51%, had their choice. So, you know, that 90% Democrat district has, well, those people had their choice. Yeah. You know, they're, they're happier. Uh, the district has a higher level of happiness because most of them got their choice for Congress. Yeah, the reason I'm very familiar with it is because Dennis Kucinich and Cynthia McKinney bring this up as an example to how they were kicked out of Congress when they had a big popular support. They were big kind of populist figures. And according to them, it was gerrymandering. It was this kind of redistricting that got them out of office. And it was used by the Democratic establishment so they wouldn't be in power. Well, remember, the people who drew those lines were also elected by the citizens of those states. Yeah. So they were drawn by state legislators, elected by people. And the thing is, gerrymandering, redistricting, whatever you want to call it, it's like the most vicious political fights you will ever see. And the reason they get so vicious is because the press doesn't pay any attention to it. And the public doesn't right. care. Mm -hmm. So the long knives come out. No one's afraid to slit somebody's throat. Whereas, you know, on figuratively, a public, figuratively, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. Whereas in the more public battles over policy issues, you know, the press pays attention and people kind of care. But it's it's one of the most vicious, dirty, and underhanded battles that uh, you'll ever see if, if you if you see it at all. Well, they and, do something like take a uh, ten zones and then pack all ninety eight percent of the Republicans into one zone, and then so there's nine of the zones win Democrat, and then one zone is Republican, or vice versa. And then so the yeah. Democrats have massive power because they stuck all the Republicans into one zone. It happens both ways, and you know there's a sort of a 
you've got the party thing too, but you've got another thing that kind of interferes with that, which is the race factor, and that the courts think that there should be minority majority districts. And when you have minority really? majority districts, that also that inherently forces you to pack because of the way they tend to vote Democrats. And it can't just be 50%. There's laws, uh, jingles, uh, Supreme Court decision. You basically have to draw a district at least 65% minority. So that's basically a 65% Democrat pack district. So what you often have is that, and this has happened before, the Republicans in the state legislature and the black Democrats get together and cut out the other Democrats because the, the Republicans are happy to give, create plenty of black majority districts for them to get reelected and have more colleagues. The Republicans get all the other districts sort of, they work together. So it's, it's a, it's right. a complicated yeah. process. Well. Weird system. Yep. But would you consider gerrymandering to be like corrupt or bad, like inherently, or is it just the exploitation of it? Look, I, I think it's a little bit overstated, the impact it has. I'll give you a simple example. In 1990, when the draw lines were being drawn after the last census, Republicans had complete control over drawing exactly four districts. Democrats had complete control over drawing, I don't know, two. This is basically you have the, the both legislatures and the governor. You have complete control. You can draw lines however you want. So Republicans had control of four districts. Democrats had control of... It's like 200 or so, and a couple of others were split. Wow. Despite that, two years later, the Republicans captured their first uh, congressional majority in like 50 years or so. Yeah, that was in right? the 90s, right? But that, those are lines were drawn only – so what I'm getting at is that um, it, it has an impact – but it's not completely dominant. And then back in 2000, Republicans were dominant. They, they had control over drawing many lines on their own, yet a few cycles later, despite that, Democrats took control of Congress in 2006. So um, it has an impact, but I think sometimes it's a little bit overstated and people uh, – and I really don't know what the alternative is. I mean, people want to do a parliamentary system, but I think that actually will – that would be even worse because then you're not – the representative isn't tied to a geography, which I think yeah. is most – forget party, forget race. For, you are from this town. You represent this town. And that, I think that's what's most important that we maintain. So let's, uh, well, let's talk about the voter integrity, uh, voter integrity Project. Do you want to just explain what it is and, and what, you, what, what you did? Sure. So in the, a couple of days after the election, I you know, had some ideas about ways to detect um, potentially illegal ballots. I shared the idea um, with a few people privately, but it really – no one really took me up on it. And I, I didn't want to even, I, I initially did not plan to have anything to do with it. It was just, hey, here's some methods you could use to potentially detect um, illegal ballots. And I tweeted about it. And at the time I had like 200 Twitter followers or something. And somebody who followed me, who had a little bit of influence, retweeted it. And then somebody else retweeted it. And then it sort of exploded. And people were saying, well, you should set up a GoFundMe. Because in the initial tweet I said, well, it's probably going to cost about 100K for just the data to do this. And I said, okay, fine. I set up a, a GoFundMe and uh, we raised 220K. Wow. And within 24 hours. Wow. And then GoFundMe shut the thing down and refunded everybody their money. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> they lied to a journalist about why they shut us down. They, and I have the record of this and we may have more legal matters to discuss. Can you in the tell future. us why? What oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. What they said was that, um, that we were spreading misinformation. Mm. We didn't spread it. All we said was like, here's some, here's some tests we want to run. And this is what we're going to do with the money. They told a reporter they shut us down for spreading disinformation. Wow. Um, so within a few, uh, you know, I did my homework. We found another um, crowdfunding site called Give, Send, Go. I can't recommend these guys enough. Um, their rates are very fair. I knew they weren't going to throw us off. Um, and in fact, they don't make money directly on it. It's just that when you make a contribution to us, they ask you for, hey, do you want to help us out too? And a lot of people do. Um, so we were able to raise much more at when we hit 580,000. Whoa. <laughs> I, I said, I said that, look, um, we've raised 
enough money to cover what I think are the expenses of this project. We're not asking for any more money. Um, any money that's left over after we're done will be returned to donors if they like it. Any money that's left over after that will go to a C3 that, um, uh, a nonprofit, a nonprofit that's basically about voter registration and fighting potential voter fraud. Um, and in all of those cases, no matter where it goes, I'm not personally going to take a penny of it. Um, and so, but, but despite that, people have continued to contribute. We're all, we're almost a hundred thousand beyond where I said, okay, we, we have the money to cover this. Um, so you're, you're looking at, uh, uh, doing some tests on mm-hmm. whether or not ballots may be illegal. Is that fair, correct? To say? That's how we started. And I built a team of, of a couple of people who are, have similar backgrounds to my own, um, and we started obtaining raw voter data from states. We started. So can, can you explain that? Because that that was crazy to me that you can get people's information on how they voted, or, or not not how they voted, but that they voted. Oh well, you can get indications about how they voted. This is yeah. I, it's too bad we don't have a, a screen or something because I can just pop it open. I I know everything that anybody would want to know about every voter in this country. That's, that's at my creepy. fingertips. Kind of creepy. Hey, that's life. And you know, it's also, it's kind of unique to the United States because I've yeah. talked about doing, I've talked to doing political consulting in other countries. It's, it's kind of difficult because they have very strong privacy laws in Europe, et cetera. But in the U.S., um, I know everything a campaign would want to know. So in terms of voter contact or voter analysis, it's, it's, it's all there. And, um, in this case, we were able to obtain, you know, voter lists from the state. States often release chase files. And that means that every day for like two months leading up to the election, they release a list of all the people who uh, requested ballots uh, or, or returned ballots who showed up to vote early. And that's helpful for campaigns because if you have like these 100,000 people you're trying to reach and turn out to vote, if the state says, okay, this person just voted, you can take them off their list. So you're no longer wasting money on doors, phones, mail, any, any social, anything else to target them because you can take them off your list and focus on the remaining ones. It's called strike listing. So all this is very useful for that. But in this case, we obtained that data to use it to try to attack, detect potential problems. And we use other government databases to, to help uh, validate our methods and to, to, you know, compile our evidence. Can you tell us some of these tests? What were you proposing to do during this original GoFundMe and this new kind of fundraiser? Well, initially, we were going to do some uh, traditional um, analysis, looking at uh, double voters, looking at people who no longer had residency, looking for potential uh, dead voters. Um, uh, and, and as we got into it, we started to discover other things, other methods that we had not thought of, but then said, Oh, that's something we should look into. Because this is, this is unprecedented. You know, this has not really been done before where, uh, you go in depth after an election. Cause usually after an election, the margin is such that there's no doubt and nobody's got any money left. And everyone, you know, honestly, it's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We are unique because we have this long period between the election and when the person takes office. Now in the UK, day after election, they're, in and out of Downing Street. It's like wow. that. Mm. Whereas, yeah, it's, a, it's immediate. That sounds terrible. Well, I, mean, I, think, I think it's already bad enough that we have a couple months. Because if you really wanted to do any kind of hard investigation, we don't have the time to do it. And we have months. Right. Well, rarely have we had the need, I think. And again, it goes back to what I said, is that the fundamental problem behind a lot of this is that the elect, you know, there, you remember Florida uh, 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Nightmare. A couple hundred votes. Nightmare. The thing is, I don't think there's any state that would not be a nightmare if if the election came down to a couple thousand votes and it was very pivotal. There's not a state, I think, that would escape finding all kinds of flaws. It's just that those states tend to, they're saved by the victor winning by enough of a margin that it's like, yes, 
you know, no ma- the errors and potential, if it existed, fraud can't overcome that margin. But here we are. In some of the lawsuits Trump presented, the judges have said the amount of ballots you're questioning would not be enough to change the outcome, therefore dismissed. I think that's kind of silly because you add up 10 lawsuits targeting specific different things, maybe, but that's actually been some of the results. Yeah, that's more a question for the lawyers in terms, you know, because I've seen cases where actually the, um, the the number of questionable ballots did not have to surpass the margin. It just had to demonstrate some kind of pattern. Mm. And that was enough to get get it thrown out. I think that was the case in Miami when a, a judge ruled there was voter fraud down there and threw out a, a mayor's election. Can you elaborate any more on what the Learn Integrity Project has done so far, or is that off limits? You know, I think my, my Twitter feed's covered it extensively, but we found all kinds of uh, indications of illegal ballots and other anomalies. We presented them on YouTube. It's pretty... Uh, I mean, we essentially run, ran about 38 tests across six different states, and we put our results out there publicly. Um, just at this point, you know, for the next short period of time, I think it's, I've been encouraged, you know, to respect the, the litigation. And uh, I th- you know, we don't want to, you know, yeah. with respect to the judges involved in this case, I think they would appreciate it if we weren't, you know, litigating in public. Right. But once that's done, well, you know, we'll crack that laptop up, put a projector up and start start showing stuff. Uh, this, well, yeah, to, within the limits is that I don't want to, um, dox anybody. Yeah. And so, but there's ways to get around that. Um, you know, and- I can, uh, just, to, just to interject because, you know, for a lot of people who are just tuning in, I have, uh, independently, I, I guess you can say independently corroborated at least. Well, you, I, sh- I, I, you know, I, you, I don't I, know what you can say. No, so you, you sidesat me, and I showed you some things, and you made an evaluation based on that. After I saw it, I went and did some uh, general sleuthing and was able to independently corroborate through different databases, and it was, it's very interesting, more than once. So uh, I think you found something. I mean, I guess we'll see how it plays out in the, in the courts, but uh, I do think it's it's shocking. I mean, we, we, we kicked off this conversation reading through you know this response from these other states saying that there's no evidence— and that, to me, is shocking, considering I just corroborated something. I'll, I'll put it that way. And I corroborated the corroborators. Right, can, right. We, <laughs> can we play a middle ground here and say, how excited or surprised were you from some of the findings? We don't have to discuss the findings, but maybe your level of uh, excitement or shock? Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, I don't think you could... I, I was surprised by certain things that I found um, and not surprised by other things. Uh, I said in on on video without going into detail that I I believe that in enough states there were enough potentially legal ballots to surpass the margins and thus cast into doubt in my mind whether or not uh Joe Biden's the deserved winner. Now I I've, I've said that publicly so I don't have a problem really repeating that. Um but there were some things that decided me some and, and you know not just about the data but also the process this journey up but gone look, on with look, the, we'll clarify sorry, too like we're not at the point where that's definitive it's just signs and indications perhaps. I, I'll save that one for later. There you go. All right. Where does this go from here? What's the next process? What are we waiting for? How, how is this going to play out? Well, right now, it's, um, it's in the hands of the lawyers, the judges, uh, the legislators. Um, I'm just at the point now where I answer questions about my findings and potentially you know, answer other questions as they come up. Um, so from my perspective... The, the base research has been done and completed. We're just, you know, giving lawyers affidavits and declarations and uh, potentially testifying here and there. In, it, is this in any way related? I don't know. Feel free to not answer if, I, if you can't. Is, uh, if you can't, is this in any way related to the states filing suits? Um, 
I'm not going to answer. I, I right. can't answer that right now, but that's a, that's a, that's a question I'm happy to answer uh, with a brief delay. Right on. Well, it's, 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 uh, I'm happy you're here. Okay. But it is, you know, it's, it's walking a fine line because I'm like, I would, uh, probably be extremely upset if something happened from this show, you know, in a lawsuit where they're like, we're going to cite, you know, the Tim Cassarell podcast where Matt Brainerd said this. And then all of a sudden it's like case dismissed or something. So, uh, I guess for the people who are listening, I have no choice. Uh, we have no choice but to just try and, you know, graze this as best we can without. Yeah, kind of I, ruining I, everything. I, I think they, it. I think they support that too, because I'm pretty sure people would be calling for my head on. Uh, well, I gotta be careful about the language I use. People would be calling for um, your beanie on a spike. Yes, my beanie. They said, take his <laughs> oh, beanie. Yeah, going, He's, he had to do this show. We're observing the Bannon rule here. I see. Yes. Oh, definitely, man. Okay, right. Well, listen, listen. YouTube has already. So let's let's do this. This is actually an excellent opportunity to go into. Uh, we have we have big news with Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, it's called the breakup. What is it called? Breakup Big Tech Act. Uh, the Bubta. Uh, she's saying these companies should not have two thirty protections, liability protections, if they're censoring people. So, just in, in, in we'll, we'll go into this in, in just a brief second. This is the uh, story from Newsweek. Tulsi Gabbard backs Trump in Section two thirty battle, accuses lawmakers of kowtowing to big tech. So, we've already seen, and, and this story is from you know a couple days ago, but on YouTube right now. They just announced a new rule about what you can and can't say pertaining to uh, Donald Trump and accusations of fraud. It's really weird. We had a really funny discussion before the show about like, so I don't even know if I can say the uh, uh, the actual criteria because it might be an algorithm just listens and then nukes the show because I said something too similar. But I'll, I'll try and break it up. I actually spoke with Google on the phone. They said two criteria must be met for a video to be removed. You must assert that there is widespread voter fraud or error in this election. The next criteria that must be claimed in the same sentence is that it changed the outcome of the election. And that's it. I asked for clarification. What, what about changing the outcome in terms of like, you know, 0.1 versus, you know, uh, you know, minus 0.1. Like the, like the, the, the winner isn't changed, but the numbers are changed. And they said, I think it's basically like if you claim Trump actually won because of these reasons. And I'm like, okay. So if I say they're, is evidence of widespread fraud, um, and it needs to be investigated, but there's not, it's not yet been, as far as I can tell, proven beyond a reasonable doubt that it altered the outcome. They said, that's okay. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that's the case. They may still nuke us for even discussing it because we don't know who these third party outsourced individuals who are reviewing, you know, transcripts, what they're going to understand. I get routinely flagged for like ridiculous things. You know, I, I did a segment talking about it was about some policy position. The video was like, you know, Joe Biden plans policy around X. And they said it was hate speech. And then what I have to do is I have to actually reach out to Google and they do a secondary review and overturn personally because I guess they like me. You know, maybe maybe they won't ban me. But these they have third party fact checkers. They're, you know, in a bunch of different countries all over the place because YouTube's massive. And they just here's the rule sheet. And they say yes or no. And Isn't so that, that just could, bizarre, though, that the totally. political discussion in our country is governed by their uh, third world outsourced. That's like, exactly it. That they found on Fiverr.com. Their well, Fiverr.com workforce is regulating our political speech. Or robotic algorithms that take things out of context. Yes. And can't understand sarcasm. So, you know, well, well they also I don't know if we should that. even joke about it. We had a really funny joke yeah, earlier yeah. and I'm like, I don't know if I could actually say that they still might. Yeah, I don't even know if I can make the joke. 
Because the joke it's, might still flag the algorithm. When you get to like a point of power, it's just time to stop joking, I think. When you talk about certain things. But, but there's like, so there are certain jokes that are obvious jokes to anybody, but not to an algorithm. Because there, there's intonation, there's inflection. Oh, we should do a whole show. Like on you that. could, you could say something Maybe not like, on YouTube. you could say, we, so I'll, I'll give half the joke. Of course, Joe Biden won. He's the greatest president in American history. Already. People are going to hear that and they're going to get I'm being sarcastic. He's not the greatest. So that's the joke I was making in the other episodes with like Joe Biden doesn't campaign. And he gets 8 million votes. And just like, wow. Think about the amount of charisma just exuding an aura. It's almost like I, I, if, you, if you're familiar with Dragon Ball Z, how many of you Dragon Ball Z fans are out there? You know, got Goku oh. and, and he goes, oh, and there's like a blast of energy coming out of his body. Joe Biden stood up on that podium and with one wink to that camera, it was like a nuclear bomb exploded behind him. The charisma was just... People sitting in their homes watching their TV got knocked back, like stuck against the wall with the amount of charisma. That's how Joe Biden was able to not campaign and win 80 million votes. How are they going to yeah. campaign with, when the neural net's activated? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. When we're all LinkedIn, you won't need to because we'll be the Borg, I guess. You just you, you already know who you're going to vote for mm -hmm. before they even decide they're going to run. They're going to ban you from the neural net. So you're going to be one of like you know one of these like, um, I don't know non-networked individuals and they're going to frown upon you and you're going to be like outside asking people just spare a little internet can you google so search something for me obviously the process will change leading up to technology like that so maybe we're just in a fluctual process right now the, like the, the the issue is the unpersoning and the and the suspension of political discourse and especially by non-american actors so i'll check this out check this out if you go on reddit.com and you go to r slash politics which is supposed to be, it's basically for American politics. More than half the people who are commenting are probably in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. Maybe not more than half, but a good portion. So that means Americans are hearing more from foreign opinions on our elections and American citizens get suspended. So this is what I find is particularly crazy. And I'll, and I'll use uh, Laura Loomer as an example. She uh, ran, she won her primary in Florida. She's a very controversial figure, but she's very good at get, getting press attention. She's been banned from every platform, but she is an American citizen who was running for office and won a primary, still banned from all these platforms. But on Twitter, you can have 100,000 people from Australia telling us how we should vote, and what we, what we should think, influencing our elections. I'm not saying illegally influencing, but that is worrying to me that these people who don't live here, who don't understand the Electoral College, who don't understand how our representation works, don't understand how gerrymandering works, are influencing people's opinions in negative ways without understanding our country. That, to me, is terrifying, especially when you, when you consider a lot of these big tech platforms, like the risk we face right now by having this conversation. They've said they'll ban it. Well, that's not going to affect any Democrat. The Democrats are saying Republicans are crazy. But there's, there's, there, there's evidence and there's discussions to be had. They could ban us. So that's negatively impacting conversations typically of the right. Yet, if you are Australian and you agree with Democrats, you can say whatever you want, but an American citizen can't. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm absolutely just sick of this like landmine system where you have to be careful with every little thing you say. I mean, on my channel, I have to say the conholial sickness and the jab instead of the coronavirus and vaccine. And I noticed the significant difference through my videos and the way that they reach people when I say conholial sickness instead of coronavirus. So there's different algorithms. There's different people. There's people in third world countries that are literally hired that have found to have a bias against the LGBTQ community. Yes. And 
there was a big outrage because a whole bunch of like trendy uh, new wave woke creators were getting censored and they're like what's going on here and it was a guy who was a religious zealot in a third world country who hated them for for what they were well we need when you you think about the the results of what's currently happening with social media so everything i just said about how an australian citizen has more rights because typically their opinions are more likely to align with the democrats right so the u.s relative to europe and australia is actually a bit to the right and a lot of people keep saying in europe america is so far right the Democrats are considered like a centrist party compared to Europe. And it's like, I don't, I'm not concerned about the opinions of Europeans because they don't understand our system. They don't live here and they don't under, like, there's, there's a lot of things they don't get about our history, why we have the certain systems we do. It's not like one day we woke up and said we want to create a broken, weird medical system. They had World War II. We had, we all had World War II, but they were most impacted and they were, they were forced essentially to create some kind of system to, to fix this. It doesn't ap- apply here. But here, what, what ends up happening is, Jack Dorsey on the, on the Joe Rogan podcast said, we have to create rules for a global community. And that means people in America who are to the right of people in these other countries may offend their delicate sensibilities. So Twitter says, what's in the best interest of maximizing our profits? We don't want just American users. We want European users. So we can't offend European users. So ban those who offend European users. Democrats tend to offend them much, much less than conservatives. So ban the conservatives. Now we can't have conversations in our own country because they've overtaken what's called the commons, the space where we used to communicate yeah. and talk about public discourse. And, and, right. it's, and it's not just us and it's not just random individuals, but it's also major uh, journalistic institutions in the United States, like the New York Post, that mm-hmm. are literally having their accounts taken away for days because they release on a story that now everyone is reporting on. But because the story was before the election, it was about Hunter Biden, it was about the son of the Democratic hopeful at the time, New York Post got censored and totally wiped off Twitter. No one could even communicate with them. Well, most um, major evolutions that become problems like this are are almost always the result of certain government policies creating... For example, in this case, a moral hazard. Here's the moral hazard, and here's how it was created. Is that they have the ability to censor anyone they want, mm-hmm. but they don't have the responsibility for what is published on their site. So they, they have all the power, but none of the responsibility that comes with it. And the way 230 was designed and all these things, you either have one or the other. So let's say, um, let's say you and I plot some uh, criminal scheme and we talk to each other over T-Mobile, the T-Mobile network, right? Well, T-Mobile didn't censor us. They didn't publish us. They're sort of, you know, so they're not, you can't sue T-Mobile for if somebody's a victim of our crime, they can't sue T-Mobile for being part of it, right? So that's a protection that makes sense for T. Now, if T-Mobile started listening on conversations and saying that's not an appropriate conversation for you to have. Well, you would think, well, now they have to accept responsibility for what they're yes. allowing and not allowing. But what these socials have right now is they have all the power and other responsibility. And one of those two things has to go away. The problem is going to continue to get worse. And yeah. that's kind of the 230 reform we need is that, look, you are either a publisher yeah. and you have responsibility, which is fine. But ban everybody. But then if somebody plots some scheme through your site, well, you're completely on the hook for it. And they, that's the kind of reform that yeah. I think we need to so, look at. So for those that aren't familiar, just to clarify, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act says that no uh, uh, platform shall be considered to be the publisher of someone else's speech. To simplify, if you go on Twitter and post a comment or a tweet, that's your speech, not Twitter's. I completely and 100% agree with that. Like, if I make a phone call, and, and you know, if I group call 100 people, and then I say some naughty word, 
that's not on T-Mobile. T-Mobile is just a phone company. It's my speech. I said something. If I call people and start defaming someone, you sue me, right? The issue is, as you described it, translating this to Twitter uh, or to YouTube, actually, YouTube's statements about what we can or can't say pertaining to the election is an editorial guideline, not a community standard. Now, they've said it was a community standard, but that makes no sense. No, uh, uh, if, if 74 million people agree with one idea and 80 million people don't, we clearly don't have a unified societal concept like what is lewd and lascivious. Section 230 provides what's called a good Samaritan provision for moderation. These platforms like YouTube are allowed to remove things and not be considered a publisher because it's good faith moderation. If someone posts, you know, uh, adult activities onto Twitter and Twitter doesn't want that, then Section 230 says we're not going to we're not going to consider you the publisher because you're choosing to get rid of these things that are otherwise objectionable. This is where the problem arises. The language objectionable in Section 230. Define it. That's the problem. Well, Twitter or YouTube would say, we think it's objectionable that anyone would question the election. 74 million people would disagree. In fact, probably more than that, because there's been a couple polls now showing that even Democrats believe there, 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 there was fraud and most Republicans do. So it's more than 74 million. So when YouTube says we find this objectionable, perhaps under Section 230, objectionable could be a personal opinion, in which case they are granted absolute and total immunity as a publisher to issue editorial guidelines on what may or may not be published and never face liability, so which not even the New York Times gets. You got to change the word objectionable to illegal. Yes. And then you got to pick what state that's in. And I think right. This, and, and typically the law would say like the state by, at, at which the company is you know, registered or whatever. But yes. So that way. There, there is a challenge there, right? But I think you can define lewd, lascivious, and we're not going to say a, a challenge in the election is lewd. That makes no sense. We're not going to say it's a, uh, offensive. You might be able to argue that, but that still kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And a judge might be like, what do you mean it's offensive? No, it's not. Objectionable means anything. And that's the reform we need. We need to get rid of that word. So lewd, lascivious, like if someone pulls out their genitals. Well, think about it this way. Let's say uh, the example I think we were given by one of the guests was a Christian blog, a website where Christians and, and Catholics or whatever can come and have conversations. And then someone starts posting a bunch of adult activities, right? Well, they're going to be like, we don't want this on our platform. It's not for this. It's so that we can have, you know, our, 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 our conversations. Then you can, they're, you, then you they're can, a publisher then, right? No, you can remove all that and still be protected because... It's clearly not in the spirit. It's a good Samaritan provision. But if you change it to say if only illegal content, then they couldn't remove that without becoming a yes, publisher. Exactly. Well, so if, if you got rid of objectionable with illegal, then they could still remove it because lewd, lascivious, filthy, or otherwise objectionable. There's a few other words in there. So the, the, the issue, I suppose, is there is absolutely illegal content you could remove. And I think the simple solution that a lot of people have presented is the block function. If you are on Twitter and someone posts something objectionable, Twitter should just be like, well, you can block them. That's it. I think yeah. that advertisers threatening to pull their money is a big impetus for why YouTube's it goes, proactively removing content. That, that's, that's actually the reason they're doing this. And that's why Google – so uh, when I first saw YouTube's statement about we can't question the election kind of stuff, the full report is actually about like advertisers and friendly content. And so they're like, we're removing things – they they're worried that advertisers will freak out upon seeing this. And it's typically typically because YouTube is scared of The New York Times yeah. and The Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal targeted PewDiePie. YouTube lost so much money. Yeah. I would love to see this in court. I would love to see Susan Wojcicki and YouTube sitting there and saying, you can't say the election is a fraud unless 
It's well, so <laughs> four years ago. So so yeah. yes, right. Yeah. You can say, yeah. uh, but no, I was told you can't say that. Exactly. I was told that the Hillary Clinton Trump election was considered historic. So long as the election is historic, you cannot question it. Uh, you, you can't say two criteria. The one I explained before. One, you, if you say there's widespread fraud and then two, you claim it altered the outcome, that is bannable. But if you said something like an alien invasion caused, you know, the, changed the outcome of the election, that's totally fine. But they'll shadow ban you. No. Oh, I'm sure they will. I mean, they'll shadow ban you for everything and they'll derank everything. But the point is, they will straight remove content if you meet this, this criteria. But uh, didn't you say there's a bunch of stuff about Hillary um, getting all over? Sc- yeah. I mean, the Atlantic has a video about how the election was stolen. The, the, um, the New York Times, CNN, they have tons of videos about all this stuff everywhere all over YouTube. That's the problem. Section 230 has created this. this uh, uh, it's almost like the system they've created tends towards what is considered mainstream and acceptable. And so... People are chasing each other as cancel culture starts attacking the right and getting them banned, increasingly accusing one side of being offensive or objectionable. Then social media gets scared because advertisers get scared and gets rid of it, moving everything further and further, not necessarily to the left, towards a broken, fractured, algorithmic, paranoid, delusional state. So That's the best way to put it. You're going to have to remove shadow banning, too. If you're going to yeah, shadow, shadow banning would be, which means you're going to yeah. have to free the software code because you can't no, rely, you well, you can't rely on a company to have good faith no, without the, the, knowing the, what the, they're doing. The courts could review it. So they could have to submit to an oversight committee and then but who's in, overseeing it, man. That's well, the problem. You, you would need the code because the code is meant to affect a result. So the result will be the evidence of the code and the policy of shadow banning. You could be proved shadow banning exists because shadow banning works. Um, but would it need to be public? Would, would a company need to publish their proprietary code to prove that they're doing the good thing, the right thing? Uh, well, n- n- no, because if they're doing it, it's evident in the results on right. the, you, what you can see. It's because what would be the point of the code if it didn't reveal what the, it was? The point of shadow banning is that you can't see it. No, no, no. But you know, shadow banning is happening. But you don't know. That's yeah, the point. You, you, no, you do. It, it becomes banning when you know it's happening. When so you don't know it's happening, it's there are banning. numerous third-party programs. That can verify shadow banning very, very easily. Like what? So, uh, what's the one that everyone uses? The European ones. That it's a dot EU. It's shadowban.eu, I think. And you, you type in a Twitter name and press enter, and it'll tell you every restriction placed in your account. Well, it would be it's that simple. It would be empirically um, reviewable. The evidence would be that you just set up a couple of other accounts, ask people to follow you, do a statistical analysis of how often you show up in the timeline, etc. It would be because ev- I, I, I follow people who I believe are shadow banned. I have the, you know, it's something you can statistically prove to court and then it's yeah. pretty much open and shut. Not only that, uh, when, when, they, when they shadow banned, I think, Ronna McDaniel from Twitter search, it was plainly obvious but, to literally everybody. But like on YouTube, if you're getting 10,000 views and then all of a sudden you're getting 9,000 views, how can you prove that they're not, that they didn't 90% your algorithm? Well, I think you're thinking about YouTube in a ba- backwards. YouTube isn't necessarily shadow banning. They're algorithmically promoting some content. And dispr- de-promoting so, others. No. Or demoting. Or not promoting at all is a better way to put it. On Twitter, it's a reverse chronological feed, meaning if I follow you and you post at 10.59 a.m., I should get your tweet in my feed at 10.59 uh, a.m. But sometimes Twitter shadow bans people and that tweet won't appear. So on YouTube, if I publish a video, you should get a notification. That's it. YouTube promotes the content and they choose who they promote. So I actually think, you know, uh, in that sense, YouTube has no obligation to promote me. If people don't watch my content, then I don't know. It does create a problem because they're choose they're actively promoting certain content, which makes them, in my opinion, a publisher. If YouTube mm-hmm. says we have identified content that we make sure appears on the front page, think about it this way. 
BuzzFeed has a community section, or they used to, I don't know if they still do, where anybody can write and it gets posted. But they, they're, they're not going to put that on the front page. The front page is where their authors and staffers appear. Sometimes I think community posts might, but I don't think so. BuzzFeed community posts, I don't know if they still do it, were always very much like, you could write a story and then publish it. On YouTube, well, YouTube's the biggest site, uh, the second biggest search engine in the world. They are choosing, based on certain criteria, to publish your content to the front page to people who have not subscribed. YouTube is a publisher and not a platform. And even when you're all your people that you're subscribed to, if you're subscribed to a thousand accounts, YouTube chooses which of those thousand accounts you're going to see. Yes. And that makes them a publisher. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's, there's a counter. We were talking about reforms, section 230. And unfortunately, uh, Representative Gallup Gabbard's, she's out. She didn't run for re-election. Right. So somebody's going to be taking her seat yep. and she's done. But there's, there's other means because you brought up the advertising angle. One thing I've advocated for is that uh, there are a lot of states out there um, with large constituency who don't like people with conservative viewpoints being just banned for perfectly legal speech. Um, I don't see a reason why states shouldn't start implementing laws that the state itself and all of the municipalities within it are forbidden from buying advertising on platforms that censor legal speech. Wow. So, yeah. so that would that yeah. would maybe get there. No, maybe that's a bold law though. It, is it or isn't it? Because it's, it's pretty straightforward. Is it, it? And it's very justifiable. Is that look? I in the state of South Carolina, I'm a let's say I was I was living there. I'm a taxpayer, right? And I'm funding the government. Do I want that government handing money to buy advertising? Oh, you say, you're saying that the government can't buy advertising. The government cannot buy advertising and for, and politicians. Well, I don't know about elected officials. That that's that's more of a free speech issue. But the um any government agency because they spend a lot of money on these socials they yeah. promote advertising all this other it, no government agency within the state is allowed to spend money if they censor the speech of our constituents i'm paying money to the state government uh youtube right. yeah. or twitter is banning me because i said i don't know there's only two yeah. genders or whatever and and they'll ban you then the, yeah right and then they're giving and my money's going from the state to twitter that that's yeah. unconscionable yeah. because they're censoring that, my legal speech okay upon clarification you are 100 correct and i think every state should implement that of course Will any of them actually do anything? I'm not entirely Maybe. convinced. I believe that um, I'm working on some projects in the upcoming year. I think that that will be on the agenda. I believe there are at least several. Look, if you can get a state to sue another four states in the Supreme Court over a presidential election, I think you <laughs> yeah. can get. I think you can get a state to at uh, on the sovereign level say that look, we're not spending any more money on any social network that censors legal. And it's a very. It's not. They, they don't have to even name the places. They just have to establish yeah, that yeah. standard. And it's like. Well, you know, the only but then thing how, is, do, how do they determine which falls under the criteria? Would someone bring a complaint to the state saying if so, you know, you'd go there and say, hi, I was banned by Twitter for this. And they would say, therefore, by this one tweet, all advertising is canceled to Twitter. I think that the the le legislation could encounter, you know, could work around that to fundamentally get at the general ideas that the, if it, it, they may only have to cite the uh, policy of Twitter saying what that that's what they do yeah. or a well publicized case. Yeah. Yeah. And you know we've seen this before because you remember state of California I think banned doing any business with the state of uh Indiana or yep. any state that had right. a bathroom because of their right? So no laws. no I think it was, was bathroom, the bathroom okay. stuff yeah. or something like that. I think it was gay marriage. I thought it was bathroom but maybe it's whatever. Probably, yeah. It's probably all of them actually. Maybe yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> very but, but I like this idea. I don't want tax dollars going to financing some of these companies that clearly do have a bias and do have an agenda. Another thing to really kind of think about here especially when it comes to the advertisers and supposedly these companies bowing down to the pressure of the advertisers in the mainstream media is that advertisers have a choice to make when they choose advertising. They could choose to advertise on let's say the Alex Jones show or they could exclude them just like me as a 
producer, right. I could go on my AdSense and I could say, I don't want any McDonald's, Monsanto, U.S. military, politician uh, ads on my channel, which I did before when they, I was still in the partner program. Advertisers could still do that themselves. And I don't know why there's not a bigger emphasis by saying, hey, if you don't like them, just put them in your Google AdSense account that well, you don't want to advertise with them. It, and then you don't have to ban that person. You could just block them. It, Imagine 10 years ago, someone listening to your phone calls and shutting off your phone service because they didn't like what you said. This is the this is the society that we're going to. It's dangerous, and there's so much power by these individuals that needs to be checked immediately. Well, you know where it came from is that left wing activists ra gathered together rabble rousers to target companies with just hit them with emails, mm -hmm. phone calls, tweet at them. The company, not realizing in most cases these people are not only not their customers but would never be their customers, start to panic, and yep. they're like, and then they call YouTube and said, "Hey, we can't advertise with you anymore because all these people are." blowing up our timeline so you got to stop you know having you know this guy on your youtube channel because he he said something controversial and then they you know that's how we get to this policy because honestly if no advertiser ever threatened to pull ads from a social media network i don't think jack dorsey or those guys would but but they could just easily say okay guys if you if you're if you're coming at me we're just going to make sure we never advertise Remember with them, them, but, 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 but hold on you're missing one extra component after the email campaign the activists will then send a tip to an ally at a news organization who will then write, did you agree that the racism on your, you were advertising on was bad? And so what happens is they'll get a bunch of emails and I've, I've, I've seen these threats. Uh, we were, we were putting on a speaking event last year and Antifa called a, a self-identified anti-fascist threatened to burn the theater down. So naturally these people freak out. But one of the calls that went to a local business was we're going to make sure the news finds out you're supporting white supremacists. Mm -hmm. So what happens then is this company goes, I got all these emails. They then told me I was doing something wrong. They then said they're going to send it to the press. One of these activists, I mean, they, they all work in media. They got jobs there. Will then be like, ooh, here's a juicy story. And then they'll email this company and say, so I actually, I actually broke this story where a reporter for Slate sent a, what I would describe as a veiled threat to a, a bank to get the Proud Boys, uh, a, a principal Proud Boy member banned. By saying, why is it that you support white supremacy? Is this a, a known thing? Something that affect? And the bank was like, no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. It's gone, it's gone. Because the journalist is essentially saying, I'm going to write a story accusing you of supporting white supremacy and then watch people panic and sell your shares. The other thing that happens in this is that if conservatives do the same thing, you know, the journalist will write a hoax campaign by fringe far right extremists targeted this company and they valiantly defied them. Because the right doesn't have a foot in these cultural institutions, and because a lot of these ad buyers just read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the right can't counter it the same way the left does. And I think that companies like Vanguard, State Street, and Black, I think it's Black Rock is the name of them, these three largest investment firms in the world own 20% of Alphabet or Google. So it's not just like Toyota that would pull their ads from... You know, Luke Rutkowski's videos, if he mentions the Federal Reserve, but it's BlackRock and State Street uh, will pull their funding from Alphabet and then that company will fall apart. These companies own 8% of Apple, 8% of Microsoft, 8% of well, Google. 
Yeah, BlackRock is one of the largest asset management firms in the world. They have about $7 trillion, and they just recently started investing in the Chinese stock market. So literally, oh, hey. people's pensions and retirements and, and money in their bank account literally is investing into China right now. Yep. And the Federal Reserve is bailing out BlackRock with any loss they have. The Federal Reserve is just making sure that they get covered. Socialism for the super rich. When they make a profit, they get to keep all their income. They lose. Federal Reserve literally steps in and is funneling money into them. BlackRock uh, is a big institution that we should talk about. Let's combine our disdain for the activists in media with our uh, disdain for big tech censorship with probably one of the most consequential stories of our generation. Hunter Biden is under criminal investigation for possible money laundering and illicit business deals with China that was partially facilitated by his own father in his role as the vice president. This story was suppressed, was censored and blocked across social media. NPR said it wasn't really news. It was a distraction. Politico said, in fact, 50 intelligence uh, official, former intelligence officials said it was Russian disinformation. CNN said the same thing and so did MSNBC. And now Politico has the gall to publish the story that, oops, Hunter Biden, Justice Department's interest in Hunter Biden covered more than taxes. So here we finally get it. And I love this when they say it is a is a powerful. Well, I guess they updated the story recently, but they say it was an explosive, explosive political revelations, revelations that um the American people needed to know about before they cast their ballots and revelations that the media, as well as big tech companies suppressed. That is probably the most, um, I don't know, dystopian thing I've, I've ever, a story I've ever read. Think about that right now. In the, in the time frame we are in, we are being told vice, uh, former vice president Joe Biden is the president elect. He's not until January 6th. The official, uh, uh, you know, YouTube has said that there's enough electors to you know, determine that he is and it's whatever. On January 6th is when officially under the Constitution, we get our president elect. We're sitting here being told that's the case. And now we're being told, oh, and by the way, we knew he was crooked. We knew he was corrupt and compromised. And we didn't tell you. And we're telling you now because we want you to sit here and wait, wait for a month, knowing that we royally you over and that you are going to have a crooked, corrupt, crony, compromised politician running the show and there is nothing you can do to stop it that i think twitter um censoring the new york post was the most scandalous thing they've ever done yeah and it's important to note here the new york post was the one that released the story they're yeah. the ones who came uh, out and said hey the, the oldest newspaper in this country yeah and then what was the response the mainstream media obfuscated it ignored it laughed at it made up total lies out of nowhere no evidence 50 needed former intelligence officials say it's russian disinfo exactly it's and russian it interference it and literally th th there's no merit there's no evidence there's no data there's no documents there was absolutely nothing do you know do you and know there's photographs of Hunter Biden getting off of Air Force Two. Yeah. And it's not just Hunter Biden. It's also the federal authorities are also looking into other relatives, including Joe Biden's brother, James, who the federal authorities are looking into and asking about a specific bankruptcy when it comes to another business that he had. We got the story right here have... from the New York Post. Yep. The feds are probing Joe Biden's brother, James, report says it is the Biden family. And Tony Bobulinski, a former confidant of the family, said in no uncertain terms that he believes the Biden family is compromised by China. So they suppressed this story. And there was a poll that was put out, one by the Media Research Center and another, I can't, I can't remember, it was more of a, a you know more bland poll from like ABC or something, where they found that a decent amount of people, a small percentage, maybe four to five, said they would not have voted for Joe Biden had they known what his son and brother had been doing. But the media suppressed the news. And 
helped Joe Biden, a corrupt politician, win. And now what, what are Americans supposed to do when they come out with this information? I'll, I'll tell you, if the news just broke right now and they were like, we just found this out. I mean, that would be shocking. But when, when we know that the media said, well, we suppressed the story, we lied about it and big tech censored it to make sure he won, even though they knew he's a criminal. It, it wasn't even that like MSNBC <clears throat> didn't run a story on it. Twitter took they deleted stories about it. They, 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 they suspended the New York Post's Twitter account for weeks. So they couldn't report anything because they dare oppose, oppose the machine. And they told the New York Post, delete the tweet, delete yep. the article, you'll get your account back. They didn't. They luckily stood up to their morals. But for how long were they taken out of business, out of commission from even people seeing and sharing and understanding this larger news, which was an important context to understand, especially on the backdrop of the Beijing professor that came out and hinted that Chinese authorities were he the ones that he said it. Yes. He I said, mean, who built Biden's wealth? And then everyone laughs and he goes, got it. Yeah. Specifically talking friends. about Hunter and his son and Whoa. Trump's criticism of it, which no, is major. No, not, to, not nope. to gild the lily here, but we actually had this exact situation in reverse not that long ago. But the media reacted very differently. You may That's recall right. when Sarah Palin was the vice presidential nominee, her emails were hacked yep. and leaked. Newspapers assigned reporters round the clock to go through every single one of them and report on every single possible detail. Now, they didn't find anything at all because it's completely clean. It's just, you know, dance recitals and whatever for kids. But they, they went armpit deep in that. Whereas now there's this, uh, this, the laptop shows up, right? Legally, the possession of the guy who shared it, the, the shop owner, he legally owns that laptop because of the lien. Biden didn't pay it off. And it's just, what happened here, I think, is part of a reaction to um, what happened in, in 16, where coverage of the FBI investigation was what they think through the election to Hillary. And no journalist wanted to be that one journalist who came out and reported this story and potentially threw the election back to Trump. The peer pressure among them was so strong. I remember communicating with journalists um, uh, just in a couple of weeks leading up to the election. There was some, you know, I'm often trying to seed stories or pitch stories and get stuff out there. And there was one story that would have made Biden look very bad, not too bad, not, not hyper, not, not laptop bad, but in that realm, right? And ordinarily a story of this nature would be snapped right up, but n there were no takers. And I talked They're to some supporting very serious, Democrats. It, it, it's clearly is, and it, we can't, we can no longer suffer under the illusion that the media is, uh, you know, some kind of non biased, some, the, the referee here, um, it's, it, it's almost it's almost redundant. It's almost tired of hearing it's, it's, these people making the case that oh look at what you know. Of course, you know the double standard. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like there. WWE, right? Where it's like the the ref joins in the fight. Like two guys are fighting, and then someone accidentally hits the ref, and the ref gets in, and now the ref is fighting. You're like, what's going on? It's just not real, right? It's not the, real. the New York Times is is not a newspaper. It's a PR agency for hard left Democrats. Yes, it's a PR yep. agency. So is MS, yep. CNN, MS, They're all they're PR agencies. Well, so. Uh, and anyone, feel free to answer this. If I if I would have told you two years ago that if I said in 2018, you know, in a couple of years, half the country, 20 states and two territories would be, uh, uh, let, let me rephrase this. If I told you in 2018 that 18 states were suing to effectively change the results of the 2020 election and 20 other states filed briefs challenging them. Paying half the country against the other half. Would you believe me? I would have believed you. You would have? Yeah, especially if you told me there were mail-in ballots. No, no, I just just that the states are lining up against I each other. It's not, it's not about the election. As divisive as Trump was, I would have believed you. What about you guys? 
I mean, there was a lot of street fights between left wing and right wing people. So there was in- indications that there was going to be a larger conflict, but not this big. Not I, somewhere I, where states I had, are going after. When each I was other. talking about the potential for conflict, people kept saying the states will never be against each other. It makes no sense. No. And now they are. Now, I, I bring this up because the media does not represent the people. They represent their side. We have states aligned against states. 20, 20 plus two territories against 18 on the other side and the president. You have a media apparatus that is lying left and right about everything. And the big tech companies defending those lies. Dude, I got to amend my statement. I would have thought you were fear mongering. There, there's no way I would have believed you. I would have been like, Tim, come on. This is what That's people, people, excessive. people I, I remember earlier this year. It's funny. What's funny to me is, you know, uh, there's a Tim Pool bingo card. You know, it's like when Tim Pool says something, take a drink because there's like a handful of things I will bring up. Civil and, War was one of them. Yeah. And, and so when I mentioned on the show, um, I think, you know, two months ago that I think I've talked about Civil War in specific videos a dozen, a couple dozen times and in passing, maybe a couple hundred times. I had these leftists, you know, put up all these, you know, claims saying Tim Pool's lying. He's obsessed with Civil War or whatever and accused me of like, you know, just fear mongering or whatever. And it's like my response was. The, the narrative started with a Princeton professor who was a Democrat who said, we are in a cold civil war. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So I talked about it. We had uh, analysis from <clears throat> several uh, security advisors, <clears throat> excuse me, who I, I can't remember if it was a New Yorker or the Atlantic, where they said ranging from 30% to 90% possibility of a civil war based on the tensions. And the, the aggregate analysis, like when they averaged out everyone's opinions, it was like a 35% chance. And then we saw the street fights. We saw Charlottesville. We saw all of this chaos and conflict. And if after all of that, I said in two years, 20 states, 18 states would be filing a suit against four and then 20 would join in to counter that because they refused the results of the election. People absolutely would have been like, you're insane. You know, I had people telling me that the Proud Boys fighting Antifa would stop there. They're like, you don't get it, man. You think that this is going to escalate? It's just the Proud Boys and, and, and Antifa. They're fringe groups. And I said, what happens when people who know them, who know the Antifa guy, hear the story about what happened and then blame the right? And the people who know the Proud Boys. So a Proud Boy goes home, he's got a black eye, and he says, oh, these Antifa guys attacked me. Now his friends hear it. It spreads to family and friends. Then what do we see in New York? Regular New Yorkers were throwing bricks and rocks at cars, flying Trump flags. And a woman went up to a vehicle and pepper sprayed children. And they still say to me, yeah, but that's just regular people fighting. And then I say, but listen, now it's going to the highest levels. They're trying to impeach the president on ridiculous, meritless grounds. They have put a former general in in the crosshairs of prison, Michael Flynn. This is one of the highest ranking military positions in the country. And they were going to lock him up for nothing for lying to the FBI in a potentially informal meeting. And when one side, when the DOJ said, we're going to get rid of this, the judge said, no, you see, from the highest levels, they're trying to arrest a general. And at the lowest levels, you have people fighting in the streets and now 20 versus 18 states in a lawsuit saying, that's not my president. I, I don't know where this goes. And maybe it stops right now. It, I'm I, just saying. I think because of the context, it's not as bad as it seems with the pandemic. No, people I've, are nuts because they've been locked up. They don't hate each other, really. Charlottesville. There's going to be There was that. no pandemic. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's going to be, especially in the United States, where you're allowed to go out and protest and own guns. There's going to be little bits of like explosive, anger, little bits, violence. Only yeah. a few months but, like, ago, in some a countries, man stalked stuff, two Trump supporters and put two bullets. Like in, his in chest. some countries, that stuff couldn't happen because the government would crack down, kill and arrest everyone involved, and you'd never see any. Of so that per- kind perhaps of thing. we have that weakness. 
In or that strength. Week, yeah, I mean, you could... Well, it depends. The government decides what protests to crack down on, and they have been selective about that. When Look, it comes to listen, a particular protest they like, they let it happen. If they don't like the protest, they crack down on do it. Do you think... So, so listen, I'm, I want to I say... This is what I want to be very clear here. At a certain point, when I'm saying I think street violence is going to spread, and it's going to affect people, and the culture war will exacerbate, people say, no, I think you're crazy. Then it happens. And they say, well, Tim's still crazy. Then I say, I didn't predict 18 states filing a suit to, to challenge four states, which would overturn the election, and 20 states fire, firing back. Or, you know, Michael Flynn, they're trying to lock up a general. That's like trying to arrest and imprison a general because he, he essentially ratted on the Obama administration's illicit activities in the Middle East. And then he went to work with Trump. I mean, this is some highest level stuff all the way down to the lowest level. My point is, when we then get to a point where you have 20 versus 18 states— I don't know if it escalates further from here, no, but I can say for the time being, I was right about the escalation there's every a, step of the way. There's an ominous parallel for you. Uh, you know, it, it, I'm not sure where it goes. It's the division in this country is um, very dangerous. But you may recall the last time, you know, there was a civil war in this country. And you may recall that uh, just look at the language. There were two sides, right? What were the, how would you define the two sides? There were the what states and the what states? The pro and anti-slavery. Right. Um, now look at where we are now. Have we developed that terminology all over again? Another dichotomy? What is it? Red states and blue states. Yeah. We've built a division into the country that's been festering since 2000 where it starts. It wasn't no, you know, it wasn't any longer. They used to call, you know, the, the states in the South, uh, East, um, the, uh, you know, former Confederacy, and for a while they were solid Democrat states, and that sort of changed, and it became so. Now we've got a new phrase to divide ourselves, just like the the Mason-Dixon slave states, free states. We have a new dividing terminology um, that was yeah. not around like in the eighties or nineties. There was yeah. South Carolina, Kansas, Georgia. Sometimes the Democrat won them, sometimes they didn't. But now we have this firm division. We have blue states, mm -hmm. we have red states, and there's more. People don't understand what a civil war is because they're tainted by American American history. In American history, we had states which were part of a union. And so there was an alignment on some issues and not in many other countries, actually every single country. Civil war was like pockets of urban areas versus rural areas. And then there were fights over territories and control of one government. In the United States, you actually had a secession and then the union saying we're not going to let the country break apart. The South wasn't necessarily trying to take over the North. They were trying to get into D.C. to effectively end the war, but they wanted their states to be out of the union. Very different from what we've seen in perhaps the Spanish Civil War. One of the key components in civil conflict, whether it's a civil war or tribalist feuding and fighting or whatever, is a view that the other is irredeemable and evil and wrong. We have, as I mentioned, 18 versus 20 states right now. And I'm sure many people on the left and, and many of these people who have repeatedly said nothing's happening over and over again as things have escalated. I'll say it again. Maybe it stops here. OK, but it's crazy to me that from two years ago till today, they kept saying it won't happen. It won't happen. And it keeps getting worse. But here's the most important point. A hashtag was trending today on Twitter. Seditious 17. And Esquire magazine has wrote has written this article. The Republican Party is now a seditious organization. These authoritarian yahoos believe the Supreme Court will ride to their rescue and disenfranchise millions of people whom they don't believe should be allowed to vote anyway. They are now officially stating that all of these states are seditious. That's like some crap news organization. Esquire magazine? Yeah, somebody owns that, trying to make a bunch of money off of it. It doesn't matter. It's the sentiment now exists. 
He already mentioned, you know, Matt mentioned red and blue states. The tribes basically exist. There have been attempts at breaking down what the left and the right is, and it makes no sense because policy agreements don't define it. My policy wise on on, on economics, I'm actually decently left. But in terms of cultural issues in the culture where I'm clearly right. So where am I? Heterodox, I suppose. But clearly there is a dividing line between the factions. Both are calling each other traitorous and evil. And I just got to stress this, you know, to to the utmost degree when people talk about this. Has anyone I, I think we're in the pot boiling. And so we don't realize how serious it is that they tried to put a former general in prison like that right there should be a huge indicator that something is seriously going wrong in this country. They said that Donald Trump, in, in, when he had the rallies chanting, lock her up, that's terrifying. They're going to go after a political rival like that. And then it was Michael Flynn who served this country. And as Luke, you know, uh, pointed out in the, in the other episode, I guess the Obama administration was mad because he exposed that they were arming rebels in, in Syria. Is that, that correct? Yeah, so of course. He was, uh, he was the one that whistleblowed. He was the one that got fired as the national security advisor under Barack Obama that exposed the whole game that was happening there, that, that solidified everything. And we have to really think about the kind of longer, bigger terms per perspectives here, because if you're a force or if you're an interest and you want to take over another nation or a country what's the best way to do it you divide and conquer the population fifth generational yeah and that's why i've been talking about this for 10 years i've been saying watch out for this hyperpartisan nonsense bullcrap that's leaving truth and any kind of logic out of the door we have to more than ever keep an open mind we have to more than ever pay attention to the truth it matters there, but it doesn't matter to the special interests that of course bastardize it to push this larger this is, context listen, war against us the point is there is no truth Clearly, I think one side is more correct than the other, and we run the risk of getting banned for even having these opinions. What I'm saying is, on the left, they're under the impression that Donald Trump is illegitimate because he was propped up by Russia, and that he's a corrupt criminal enterprise, and Bill Barr is his hatchet man, clearly not, and they just believe what they're told from the media, who's clearly lying because— They've allowed Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to get away with this very, very serious story. Be careful not to fall into the trap of left and right. It's not left or right. This, it, those are tribal indicators. They don't mean anything anymore. But when you just said those on the left, that was you falling tribal, into it. No, it's a tribal it, indicator. Yeah, we, it's, we, it's we, you, we, it's we you colloquial... giving into the brainwashing without realizing it. If you, you sit on camera you with 100,000 people. You misunderstand. People, no, I, I fully understand. It's easy to become the demon that we fear. So we... We should not be talking about the left and the right and the red and the blue and the Republicans. and the, the, We're all one people. Sure, but they clearly exist and are easily identifiable. Everyone knows what I mean by the left. So when we had Jen Perlman on the other day, she's, she was very lovely. She was awesome to talk to. We disagreed on some issues. And she said, I'm what the real left is, the economic left. I agree. Economically, she supports cooperative markets versus competitive markets. It's very left in terms of a political compass sense. But in terms of what, you know, people in the chat were especially uh, critiquing is the left doesn't mean the same thing as it used to. It's now just tribal indicators, red versus blue, left versus right. And although you can look at the, the left and see that there are some people who aren't super woke, but still align with them. And on the right, you have people who are disaffected liberals or intellectual dark web types who are hanging out with conservatives and agree with them. The, 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 the separation, I think, is, is built upon, are you a follower of what Michael Malice calls the cathedral, the establishment system, or are you an independent individual who seeks that information on your own? Both sides have independent free thinkers. The right, in my opinion, and again, this is my bias, 
tends to have more independent free thinkers. It's why you get people who used to be left walk away and not the other way around. Although you sometimes get people who are, you know, voted for Trump and then say, oh, no, I, I reject that. I'm left now. It happens. On the left, you have people who watch the mainstream media and have no idea what they're talking about. On the right, you have regular people who have known about the Hunter Biden scandal the whole time and are angry the media has been lying about it. Granted, on the right, you get people who go too far and read crazy, you know, conspiracy theories, and then they, they kind of lose it. But I don't think that's the majority. Mainstream news, as you mentioned, is essentially funky, uh, functioning as a PR apparatus for the hard left Democrats. It's been weaponized. At, well, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's a bunch of different reasons why this has happened. And I can talk about algorithmic manipulation. So I, I, I wanted to cover a story. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys in on a secret. In my opinion, I'm being very careful here, on the data I analyzed in the story I was covering years ago, the New York Times seems to reuse URLs to manipulate and game Facebook algorithm, Facebook's algorithm to make more money. What they'll do is, in my opinion, this is why they do it, they'll publish a story that's a hot news story, breaking news, Donald Trump does backflip. It immediately gets 100,000 shares. Because of that, YouTube says, I'm sorry, Facebook says, this is a hot link, keep showing it to people. But eventually the breaking news doesn't really cut it anymore because everyone knows Trump did a backflip. What do they do? They change the entire article to an analysis piece about how Trump is racist to give it an evergreen longevity outside of breaking news. So that while Facebook is promoting this hot news story, instead of having the link die, it gets picked back up and survives. That's huge, right? Right. So that's a big story that I was going to be covering. But the the point is, for monetary reasons, they're going to build an audience, they're going to sell a story, and it's going to keep pushing this divide. You know, I guess to simplify what I was trying to say to Luke, it would kicked off this conversation is when you say we got to find the truth, I agree. But I think there is a, there's a reason why they call it red pill and blue pill. Uh, I think Michael Malice describes it as the red pill is you've awoken to the reality outside of corporate controlled media narratives. If, if you if you watch mainstream news, you're getting contradictory information every other day that makes no sense. So people end up thinking crazy things. But for, for those of us who have been actually investigating and looking and reading the news, we knew Hunter Biden was crooked because we, we saw the emails. But people who watch CNN was told were told it was Russian disinfo. What are they going to think now when they're now being told by CNN that CNN was actually the ones investigating the story the whole time? I think it was Oliver Darcy who said, we've been really going at this story to try and figure out what's really going on. So now those people who are convinced it was Russian disinfo are now being told by the very same people. Actually, we were the ones who uncovered it in the first place. Either these people are not interested, they're not uh, uh, capable cognitively to understand what's going on, or they're going to snap from cognitive dissonance. Well, Tim, Tim, don't you know we've always been at war with East Asia? Yeah. Yeah? Well, well. also, uh, this back and forth also makes people very stupid. It's a 1984 stupid. Rose reference. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got it when I said it the first time. Sorry. I, I, no, we have to understand, a lot of these people are, are just being brought into total delusion, into total nonsense, where they can't even understand the process of independently thinking because of the contradictory information that just is being thrown at them. And I think it's very clear. I think we could all understand that within the last few years, this larger divide and conquer agenda 
has been there and it has been ranched up on so many different levels where they I, I think there is a Who, force doing it? there is a force there's a power that wants you fighting and hating each other based on your skin color based on your orientation based on your age based on whatever you choose to do with your own life those differences have been exemplified and empowered to such a level where you see another person you're you're taught to see someone that you're going to dislike or be angry about and to be dysfunctional there's there's a lot of different fingers that we could point to to you know people who benefit from that whether it's the corporate world or another geopolitical threat out there but the most important aspect is to first understand that it's happening before even pointing fingers at who's doing it well it's that it's that division that we see um being encouraged in so many different places for you know causing division breaking national unity and you know i i i recall in uh, President Trump's first inauguration, inaugural speech, he had a, a wonderful line, as, and it's that, through loyalty to our country, we will rediscover loyalty to each other. Yep. And that that there says everything, because everything that we've seen, whether you have people uh, disrespecting our, our, what do we have that unifies us, right? The flag, right? So you want to create division around the flag, have people kneel or be disrespectful during the national anthem, right? That's dividing people further, taking our national things that unify us and bringing us a part of them, tearing down old monuments or disrespect or, or rewriting history to cast our founding fathers as villains. The things that are uniting us are the things that are most yeah. under attack. It, and I'll, I'll just go a little bit further, though, in terms of what's really the, the left-right divide, and maybe you guys see it differently, but this is a, a this has been in human history for a long time is that, and, and the best way to define it in contemporary terminology is that there are those who embrace what we now call postmodernism and those who reject it. And I find that's a very clean line of mine, the different ways of seeing things and, and thinking things. I disagree a bit. Um, I've heard throughout the past several years of the culture war about what it's really about. I've heard it from, I've heard people say it's nationalists versus globalists. I've heard people say it's libertarian versus authoritarian or postmodernist versus, you know, anti-postmodernist, anti-postmodernist. And I don't think any of these cleanly describe what's happening. I think, I think it's just world, pers it's perspective. It's, it's your echo chamber, I suppose. And so I got uh, the way I think Andrew Breitbart said, uh, uh, I'm probably going to paraphrase, uh, paraphrase this incorrectly, but the general idea was that you have to walk towards the fire. You think it's it's dangerous and it's painful, but when you pass through it, you see there's freedom on the other side. It was something like that. So you have people, it's the allegory of the cave, who live in the cave and people who don't. I think that's, so there are certainly, um, we've had people on this show who are decently woke, you know, and have advocated for, you know, rather social justice type positions, but are not what would be described as left. It's kind of strange. And a lot of people in the chat will like not like them. But, you know, we've had people here who have supported Trump, but also supported social justice initiatives that you typically would not find on the right. So not necessarily postmodernist thinking, but that could be a strong indicator. I started to fall into postmodernism really hard when I was like, I can I'm creating reality with my thoughts. I, we are, you know, controlling our reality in like 2008, nine. I really but then something I was able to kind of pull out of it. I know that it's not a, a, a deep, dark pit. Check it I, out. I want to talk about this link changing thing at a different time that you talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a, This is a huge, that's a and it, big And it deal. was killed by a guy who now works for the New York Times. We should probably make it illegal at some point. Another, well, uh, another uh, thing well, just, that I really... Just to go back real quick. Let me, let me yeah, ask, yeah, I want to go sure. back to what we were talking about. Uh, are, so is to break down what you're saying about postmodernism, are you saying people who believe in objective reality and people who don't? Or... I think that that's um, an indicator, but I, I actually would... Putting it aside is that when we were, I was doing the analysis for the original, for the first Trump campaign on what would make somebody favorable to support 
Trump and opposed him. A lot of people were trying to do that too. And a lot of them had sort of these second rate ideas about, you know, it's basically uneducated poor people, or in other cases, they'd say, you know, it's basically racist or something. And somebody actually did a pretty good study um, that found that uh, it really did come down to whether or not you were a embrace postmodernism, which is we get in trouble with some philosophy types here, but I think it it is basically comes down to if it feels good, do it. And by extension in politics, if it feels good, it must be right. Yes. Versus those who utterly reject that, those who have, I, would, I, I like to say they possess the wisdom of the Old Testament. Well, there, there are many people on the right who don't like, like in, in, the, in the culture war right, who aren't fans of Trump necessarily. Well, but just think about the reasons why. It's because he's had three wives. He's very brash. He, doesn't, he has uh, he yeah. his exhibit, like what they would consider conspicuous consumption. And I'm not saying those are my Christians. Those are the ones that you might find the people who are very uncomfortable with him because he seems so, uh, an uncouth, brash New Yorker, right? Those well, would be so, the objections, so, right? Uh, you know, they've, they've been calling me right wing for quite some time because I've continually been defending Trump. And I think it's part of the trope of please stop making me defend Trump. The more the media lies to support the Democrats and their narrative, you know, I think I think my, uh, uh, you know, true like descent into the culture war started with I worked for Vice. Mag- I worked for Vice. OK, I was the founding member of Vice News. And what did we do? I, we, Luke and I, uh, even after Vice, we went to Japan and we, we went around and we interviewed people in Fukushima. And we got to like experience a natural disaster. It wasn't hyper political or anything like that. When I worked for Vice, I went and covered conflict and crisis in other countries. It wasn't U.S. politics in America. But while I was at Fusion, it's where this, you know, uh, one, one of these guys said, don't report on the fact that the New York Times is essentially doing this extremely unethical behavior. It re- what, what the New York Times did when they ch- would change links like this resulted in two of the all-time top posts on Reddit, number three and number five, getting deleted for a violation of the rules. I thought that was a huge story. I mean, Reddit was one of the biggest social media sites in the world. The th- uh, Two of the mo- highest, the biggest stories ever posted on the site were deleted because the New York Times was altering stories in secret. And he said, don't report that because we do the same thing. He now works at the New York Times. So I kind of lost my train of thought because I wanted to tell that story. Well, another aspect that I kind of wanted to intervene here, I've been waiting to say, and whether this is happening on purpose or an accident, we have to understand that a lot of this division is also being fueled by big tech social media algorithms that promote certain behaviors and demote other behaviors. So when we look at something that's very hyperbolic, whether it's intentionally or not done intentionally, we are seeing the worst elements of our society being presented to us almost every single day. That's going to have an effect on your psyche. That's going to have an effect on your brain. It's being programmed. And when you're at war, if you can get your enemy to fight itself, it weakens them. At Like if they kill, kill if you have 5,000 troops and 5,000 troops and they fight each other and they kill off 2,500 and 2,500, now you only have to fight 2,500 troops or 5,000 troops. I mean, 10,000. That's what they're doing to us. You know us. what the easiest way to win a war is? Get your enemy to kill themselves. Get... I guess, yeah, that's a better, I was going to say, get him to stop reproducing at all. Or get, or make a joint subjugate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the fertility numbers, and if you look at the reproduction numbers, if you look at the marriage numbers, they're all down in the decline in the toilets. I'm not saying it's intentionally being done. I'm just saying. I think it is. I think that some, for some reason, the U.S. Constitution is such a threat to globalization or, or, you know, global socialism or whatever. The Great Reset can't happen. That they're using postmodernism to inflame people through social media. And it's like BlackRock and State Street, these global funding organizations are using this psychosis and they're like driving us against each other. The Pope has come out in support of the Great Reset. But the problem with the Great Reset is that the United States has a constitution. They can't do anything about the constitution. I mean, I think there's only one thing that would actually get rid of the constitution and that's a civil war. 
So, oh, you know, I mean, you can, yeah. if you were talking about dichotomies here, I think you have another dichotomy that you're really hitting on. And we're all kind of dancing around this word that keep expecting somebody to say, but I don't. But you, you have on one hand, nationalism, national identity. You know, on the other hand, we have something that can't exist at the same space, but it has a tremendous amount of financial vested interest and energy and power behind it. And that is consumerism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two things can't exist in the same place. <laughs> Capitalism. And, I'm, I'm, kidding, I'm not I'm saying, Well, there's a, there's a difference. But capitalism. I, I like consumerism because capitalism encourages bold thinking, revolutionary change, um, creative disruption, whereas consumerism basically – they, they just want you to have an earthworm existence where you consume, excrete, consume, excrete, and die. Well, the, the, the Great Reset is opposed to that. The Great Reset wants people not to own anything. Well, if you don't own anything, but you have to pay everyone forever. You, don't, you, yeah. you have to pay that rent forever. Right, you have right, to, right. You, know, you, can buy, you can buy yeah. a cell phone, and guess what? It's, you don't even own it, and it's going to exactly. be replaced in five years because you, you don't stop paying. Yeah. Well, you know? When you go on the World Economic Forum, you see a lot of generalized, bland language like fairness, equal outcome, the public good. But essentially, when you deep down and you look into more of their text, well, what are they talking about? More taxes, more regulations, more free trade agreements like the TPP, which, of course, benefits the corporate billionaire Wall Street banking class, which is in cahoots with also other foreign governments that they greatly benefit of when they subvert other people's individuals' you, you, will and sovereignty and, and, that and freedom. Weas- that weaselly language you cite that is yes. concealing that, yes. that is the biggest tell yes. of how malignant and uh, and uh, malevolent it is. Yep. is it, you hide it because our U.S. Constitution, it's incredibly explicit. There's no doubt. There's no weasel words like that. It says exactly what it means. and You know what it means. Yep. Whereas those buzzwords you're throwing yep. out, it's like, oh, it sounds good. Yeah. The, the equality, you, you, sustainability, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. of outcome. That's the dangerous because you have yeah. equality of opportunity, which is great. We all, but yeah. equality of outcome is well, not great. That's well, where you force. Well, do, 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 do you guys know that in the U.K. they announced high value individuals will be exempt from quarantine? I'm not surprised that by mean? that. But. It means that if you're a wealthy and successful business person, you're free to do what you want, travel where you want to go. I bring <sighs> yeah. this up because I th- maybe a lot of people don't know this. You know, the planet has people who have reached a certain level of wealth. They're completely. They can buy their way out of jail. Now, I don't want to put it that way. They don't exist in the law in any capacity. So uh, a way, one way to put it is they can fly in a private plane and land in an airport without without passports. They don't need any of that. They can go where they want, when they want, for any reason, because they're rich and powerful. And I've uh, I've actually met some of these people, and they've told me the stories about how they do it and why they do it. And once you reach a certain amount of wealth, it doesn't matter if the United States is imposing a lockdown. It won't affect you at all. In fact, the Great Reset would be great, greatly beneficial to you because while everyone else would lose ownership of everything, you'd have free access and free reign to do whatever you want indefinitely yeah especially individuals like bill gates that promised to donate all of their wealth to charity 10 years ago and now has doubled his wealth he's also literally on cnbc talking about how vaccines have been his greatest ever investment and how it's a 20 to 1 return for him personally <laughs> so so i, I do believe because that when that, you that, mandate them exactly when when and this is again bill gates the person pushing for a lot of these policies and also pushing for the global reset a part of the other you know big players here that are calling for this and are saying we got to do this essentially they do care because it does essentially work out for them in certain ways like the bill gates and you know very very powerful interests the world economic forum has publicly stated they want a great reset the new york they they published this the new york times then wrote a story saying it was a baseless conspiracy theory we're past that point now where we're seeing articles from like the guardian where it says the great reset is being maligned so now they're like openly just being like of course we're going to do this of course it's our opportunity 
Well, the Constitution's in the way. So they're going to own stuff that we're going to rent from them? No, well, no, no, no. We, we have a constitution. So it's been very, very difficult. I mean, you look at the Republican states and they've said no. You look at Pennsylvania and Michigan and the Supreme Courts, of, I think of even their states, have, have struck down their attempts at locking down. This is what they want is a world where no one owns anything. They don't mean everyone owns nothing. They mean that most you. people own nothing and yes. they're going to own it and we're going to rent it from them. Yeah, And yes. they're all going to do it in the name of equality and sustainability by pushing, again, more controls, more regulations so independent people can't start their own businesses, can't have their own businesses, all the competition against them and their buddies is totally wiped out, and they call this redefining capitalism. Have you, have you, have you seen the video of the woman in California from the Pineapple, was it Pineapple Hill, where she, she's, uh, she's the, the Hollywood has set up uh, these picnic tables and yeah. these benches, and then she can't have hers? What did she say? She said, everything I own is being taken from me. Yes. The rich people are... Doing fine. I mean, Bezos, Bill Gates, these these wealthy individuals have made so much money uh, in the past in, in the past year. The, the Amazon stock has skyrocketed. Why? Because small businesses shut down and big box stores are allowed to to expand. Well, so I, I feel like we're heading towards idiocracy where we're going to have one store. You know, you might, yeah. have you guys seen that movie where it's just one big Costco? That's going to be Amazon. When you want goods, you're not going to go to the store. You're going to you're going to go to Amazon. It's it's going to be the only way to get stuff. Well, let's talk about the monopoly of Facebook and how they're looking at breaking up. The monopoly, talking about big giant corporations. You Facebook is, I, I mean, Facebook is, is, is in a different vein. Um, there, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know. But specifically, when we look at that uh, article, when you say you won't own nothing, it was from an article from the you know World Economic Forum about their vision of 2030. And it specifically said, you will own nothing, you will have no privacy, but you will be happy. <laughs> in, in other words... Human slavery wrong. is going to be back. They're not wrong. And our friends are going ignorance, to benefit from it. Ignorance is bliss. To some so, people, I would argue against that in well, so no, no, many no, different instances. No, no, no. Ignorance is bliss. It, it, it's, it's true, right? So I'll put it this way. If there was a, uh, a, a space colony floating in orbit where everyone who lived there was, you know, advanced a thousand years of technology and they were immortal and could fly and could teleport, you would wish and long for that if you knew it existed. You don't know exists, so you can only be as happy as you are in your in the moment. I'm not I'm not advocating for ignorance, no. But what they're saying is, if we can take the idea of freedom and liberty away from the individual, then they won't long for what they don't know exists. So they want to take away ownership so that you're happy and complacent in the future, not even thinking it can exist. I I, I think humans the human spirit and human will naturally goes towards liberty, towards freedom, towards sovereignty. What did Harriet Tubman say? Um, I, don't I know have freed you're... many slaves, and I would have freed many more if only they knew they were slaves. That's true. Uh, there are instances where you could look at the pessimistic aspect of it, and there are aspects of it that you could look at the aspects that uh, propelled humanity and progressed us forward in positive ways, and that road is always the road of freedom, the, the road of freedom liberty. Wins. If, you look at, wins. if you look at civilizations and how they stifled, they stifled when there is a lack of freedom, there's a lack of communication, there's a lack of dialogue. And now us getting this dialogue taken away from us is the first warning shot that I think people would really need to pay attention to because once we can't even talk to each other, once we can't even be able to listen to what's really going on there, we've already lost. You know, when I grew up at that step, I I used to listen to a lot of punk rock and there's a song by a a band called Anti-Flag called Underground Network. And one of the lines is Underground Network Alternative Communication. I think it's really funny because that was a very left thing back in the day. And now we are at the point where it is the right. YouTube has explicitly stated if you believe in specific things about this election that would be beneficial to Trump, they will remove your content from the platform. 
an overt and outright benefit to Joe Biden, just like censoring the story of his family being crooked. And uh, and he look, Joe Biden facilitated his son's trip to China to negotiate one of these deals. They got a what, what was it? A five million dollar uh, forgivable interest free loan. They called it. Billion what does that do- mean forgivable? It, it, it means you don't got to pay it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was a gift. It was just a bribe. No, 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 no. You can't accuse them of taking a bribe. That would be that would be a, a Fake d- news. defamation. Is there any punishment to not giving back a forgivable loan? So a forgivable loan could be like, hey, Ian, I'll lend you a hundred dollars, okay. and if you, um, you know, bring in the the Amazon boxes when they come, I'll forgive the loan. Oh. So there's a condition that can be met that makes it so you don't owe me any money, any wow. money anymore. and it can be any condition. Tony Bobulinski said he told him not to take the money, and they got rich behind his back, and he thinks they're compromised. The media suppressed this, and just like YouTube is now telling us they're going to suppress information, I'm I'm really interested to what happens at the out uh, the result of some of these lawsuits pertaining to fraud if something favorable happens for Trump and a judge asserts that what YouTube said you can't say is in fact true. And when I asked them about this, they had no answer. They were like, you can't make these claims. And I said, what happens if a judge agrees and says it's true? Well, you know, our policy says... I have a question for you. Does does their policy uh, prohibit you from questioning uh, Kennedy's victory against yes. Nixon? Really? Yes. So Illinois, you can't discuss the fact yes. that... Look- so that's actually... Uh, a historical uh, uh, conspiracy, I guess. Like, there, there are accusations that uh, the mafia helped JFK. I guess is that w- what the story was. Well, there's a lot of people. Di- like anything that moves f- far enough back in time, you start to get experts who re-review things and find, oh, maybe this was the case, or you know, I don't know. Abraham only, Lincoln was a, a homosexual or something. I, this reviewing it and saying, well, maybe, you know, academic but, but, research, but right? asserting it as fact. Like, so I think a, a researcher would say we found evidence that suggests as such. Let, and, let, and I guess that's fine. Let's but, assert but, let, this is awesome, then. But I've let never me, heard let anything me, about this. Can you talk about this? So I think there's only one president who lost Florida and Ohio uh, to not get elected. Just There's two presidents. I could be wrong about this. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Richard Nixon, in his uh, uh, race with, uh, in, in the election with Kennedy, law, uh, Nixon won Ohio and Florida, but lost the election. And Donald Trump. Donald Trump won uh, Ohio and Florida, but lost the election. What, what year was this? The Nixon Kennedy? 60, was it 68? Six, no, it was 60. 60 flat. 60. Oh, 60. And it they, was the end of Eisenhower. Those are cool debates because Nixon was all sweaty. I mean, he just looked like a... Like a, like <laughs> Some a of the weird. first debates. But um, what, what YouTube said is you can't question the outcome of a historical election. And um, specifically, if you said that there was widespread fraud that resulted in... You know, and this is the second criteria I'm being trying to avoid the algorithm just because it's hypothetical uh, that resulted in Kennedy, you know, winning or Nixon losing. That would also be a bannable offense. What about in another country? I wonder. Yeah, I was just thinking think, that. Does I this think... apply to North Korea? <laughs> right During the North Korean elections? Can, can you not detest the North Korean, right? I think I think YouTube saying historical election criteria is just a manipulation where they could give themselves an excuse. What is historic yeah. election? Every election's historical. We right. we number the presidents and have lists of them. Books. Yeah, they yeah. go in history books. They go in the encyclopedias. You know, so that's a ridiculous uh, uh, bar. I think you should YouTube should build like a zone where we can talk about this stuff. No, like you don't the get conspiracy it, zone and then just don't monetize isn't it, it. Isn't it kind of crazy, though, that they want to do something right, but the language they came up for it was just so pants on head stupid. Isn't that surprise? Would you have expected them to come up with something a little bit more bulletproof or something you couldn't just t- pick apart so easily? I think the That's issue the best is they yeah. came up with is oh these are the rules. So 
Come yeah, on. yeah, they're they're trying to find a way and a right time to stop people from talking. What they're doing is over long over the, the way I described it is there's uh, we're on a large uh, island with sheer cliffs on every side, and over time the cliffs have been eroding, and it's all you know from the right for the most part. Well, it's also so, a chilling effect, which is also important here because I remember when the Hunter Biden story came out, I had to make a decision. I'm like, you know, big news organizations are getting canceled for this. If I mention this, I could get canceled. Do I even talk about this? And I have to say yes, but I could imagine there's other people in my position who would say, no, I'm not going to talk about it and because I want to play it safe. Uh, and some of them did get banned. Yeah, ton, Tons of the, 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 the videos, uh, tons of, the, I think 8,000 channels this year were deleted just outright with no strikes, just nuked. Some of them because they were questioning uh, COVID guidelines and restrictions. So just gone. Some of them with medical doctors and professionals with literal PhDs and pathologies looking at scientific data and breaking it down so people understand it were banned because they went against the procedures and protocols of the World Health Organization, which, which keeps flip-flopping and changing their official stance. I think I like YouTube better now than 2008 because we can stream live on it. They didn't have the tech in 2008, but in 2008... You guys check out uh, oh, Warren, Warren 25. Go look at old Warren 25 videos. People say you could crazy scream stuff. anything at the camera as long as it wasn't like ele explicitly illegal. You know, YouTube has become uh, for all intents and purposes like I don't know, Netflix. In 2013, I, I, uh, I, I know people who work at Google. In 2013, I had a uh, meeting with some Google employees and they said Netflix is our biggest competition. And I said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. I was like, you represent, you know, individuals who can make channels and they talk to their friends and their families and it creates a decentralized network from the smallest audience to the biggest. What makes you think you're competing with Netflix? And it was simple. They said, you know, look at Vice. When Vice.com came on the scene, they were getting tens of millions of views on their documentaries. When Netflix went digital and started allowing streaming, YouTube lost that viewership. But more importantly, Vice documentaries dropped by like 80% in viewership. Millennials were going on YouTube to look for content to watch to stream. So Netflix launched a high quality, you know, Hollywood production, you know, of, of streaming content. And then people chose that over YouTube. So YouTube's ever since then been prioritizing Disney Channel-esque type content. Well, they changed their algorithm to promote long format videos rather than short format videos. Because if you remember, back in the day, it was two-minute videos, yep. four-minute videos that mm -hmm. were the most popular. Now it's 10 minutes plus, and you because see... Because they hurt you if you don't. Yes, exactly. So that's another or incentive. I should, that's, that's, I should say they only promote 10-minute yeah. plus. The algorithm doesn't promote you if you don't follow these. Like, And there's a, and there's a ton of them that you have to follow, which is absolutely crazy and insane. One, I wonder if Netflix will start allowing you to flip on a camera and stream live and get ad revenue. Because well, it's the, it's that's the other YouTube. way around. YouTube's going to eventually take that right away. Uh, you think they'll get rid of it? I think it's YouTube's biggest value is being able to flip a camera on and get paid. No, you can't get paid. Yeah, you it's get ad revenue. Luke's not in the partner program. Well, not right now. Yeah, I got kicked out. He can't get back in. Well, and they're if, supposed to review it within a month. It's been word. it's been ten months now. Well, then they should review it. Do you know? Do you, do you want to know why the only reason? Uh, well, I don't want to get too specific, but I can get a YouTube channel uh, monetized rather rather quickly. I have to meet the criteria of like I think it's like what four thousand hours and like a thousand subs. Yes, and then I have to actually just call Google and be like, "Hey, I've got a channel. Can you guys monetize it?" And they'll say, "We'll get back to you." So, did you say say you thought YouTube was going to get rid of that feature? YouTube has already gotten rid of the open partner program. It's gone. Oh yeah, it's not open anymore. But I wonder if Net if Netflix, Facebook's doing it right. I think we are going to come to a point in a year or two where YouTube disables user uploads without certification. So in order to upload, you'll have to submit your ID 
and then wait a month and then they'll approve you and then you can publish to YouTube. And then to get into the partner program, it's going to be, you know, they're going to have to wait a year. They're probably going to put like, you have to be a user uploading content for six months so we can review your content, submit your ID and verify your identity, give us your tax forms six months later. Brain chip vaccination certification. You don't want to make the barrier. Plug in your neural link uh, so we can scan your brain. To entry too hard because it'll be too easy for other people to go on their own website and stream live and take like monthly subscriptions but, that's well, almost on. here why why, why is it that i mean i think you're right um one thing that keeps youtube dominant is the partner program yeah. so long as people know if i go on youtube i make money if i go on minds.com i don't you get crypto yeah well you they get tur- crypto but they turned yeah, their back on what made them great what made youtube great was individuals coming together and just without the corporate squeegee clean pr corporate approved talking points just were natural just were real it was organic it was something to really watch and to be surprised by and to really kind of progress yourself and to really expand your mind with all these different opinions and different talking points and now it's just like here's disney plus and all this other nonsense and crap that you see everywhere regurgitated think, in the same format and way i think steven crowder is so I, I, the way I described it is the, the cliffs are eroding. So two years ago, there was the far right edge of the cliff and the far left edge of the cliff and the far left edge of the cliff actually did face some erosion. They were actually suppressing some content and they did ban a bunch of creators recently. There was actually a trend. Uh, well, this happened on Twitter. So in the general free speech conversation, a bunch of leftists now got banned. And like, I, you know, what I said, I said they're useful. What, what did they say that got them banned? Nothing. They were just one day just gone. So, you know, I think it was their usefulness to the establishment had 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 is, is gone. Expired. So now while they were allowed to stay on the platform and advocate for certain things, once the election happened, they got rid of them. But uh, anyway, the, the 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 right end of the cliff has been eroding for years. I was actually interviewed by Oliver Darcy of CNN about the troubling nature of banning the alt right from social media. And I just my, my point was. They can have, you know, deplorable opinions so long as they're not breaking the law, calling for violence, inciting violence or advocating for, you know, horrific, you know, crimes. Then they're allowed to have their opinions. And I actually, you know, Oliver Darcy of all people. So they get banned. Now we're at the point where if you question the election in a certain way, you'll get banned. Well, I think Stephen Crowder is the one who's now standing with his tippy toes to the edge of the cliff as it's eroding because, I mean, he's absolutely going after these stories and, and interviewing people and challenging them. And, and, and then we're standing right behind them. I mean, especially having you on the show, Matt. Yeah, these conversations. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, we're going to have probably our biggest show. Don't please don't say anything, anybody, because I'm going to I think we're going to have one of our biggest shows tomorrow. And I'm really poking the bear. So uh, I have my limits. I've said it over and over again. If I get banned, I'm going to go skateboarding. I'm going to go fishing down by the river. And, and, you know, there's only so much you can do as the cliffs are eroding before you before you say, I will not retreat. I will not. You can re-divert lava flow from volcanoes to build more landmass if you need more cliff space. Sure. I don't know how That's that analogy works. You <laughs> said the edges of the land were eroding. Let's build more edge. Do you not have a backup platform plan where you would go if something happened to you on this? YouTube owns the space. They 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 own all the ad. They've, they've monopolized the ad revenue and, and everything. So what we're doing right now is we're building a proprietary website so that users can subscribe as members and then get... You know, so a more traditional business model on top of what we have, because I think I think we're going to do one of our biggest shows, probably our biggest show tomorrow. And uh, I don't think it I I think it could result in a first step towards possibly getting banned because I'm just, you know, because I I think it's possible. I think Minds is really great. I co-founded Minds um, a decade ago, but we can't we don't have video streaming yet. 
And there's no fiat. You can't get paid with fiat yet either. It's just crypto. YouTube is subsidized by Google. YouTube loses money and always has. Mm -hmm. And the reason this happens is that YouTube costs ridiculous. I mean, are you familiar with how bandwidth expense, how expensive bandwidth sure, is? Sure. So right now we have uh, fifty eight thousand five hundred forty seven concurrent viewers. The most we had was around, I think we hit like sixty sixty one sixty one thousand. Yeah. That means for the what what, what do we got? We got yeah, like ninety eight thousand watch three hours. megabits per second up means YouTube is sending out three megabits out time. Well, they probably compress it, so maybe a megabit times sixty one thousand fifty eight thousand. That's that's free for me. I'm not spending any money on broadcasting all this data to people. YouTube loses money. But Google monopolized the space. So what they're doing is by subsidizing YouTube, they make sure no competitor can emerge. Why? Look, I my videos automatically sync to BitChute. It's a great safety net because I've had videos taken down and then people can still watch them. But I can't make ad revenue on BitChute, which what? means if I focus on that or even Facebook. Yeah, what's I'm up with not... Facebook? Can you get ad revenue on Facebook yes. now? Uh, so Facebook rev actually is not that bad. Um, nowhere near as good as YouTube. But it's not worth pursuing because, it, listen, when I first started doing YouTube, this was back in 2011 or whatever, and I was getting like five bucks a week doing a video every day. And I said, if I can't survive on this, I'm going to run out of money and then I can't do anything ever again. But once you get enough money to invest in yourself, to start the business, get the ball rolling, and then make just enough, you're good. YouTube allows you to actually live. I'm not talking about even living well. Like, YouTube is the only platform where you can actually pay your rent and keep working. Buy mansions. Used to for me. You know? when, you, when you get to a certain point and you've got several gold you know, YouTube awards and you have a certain level of viewership, you make a lot of money. There's no way that I could make anywhere near as much money on any, any other platform. So it's, not, it's, it's also like this. What people need to realize when they're like, Tim, you got to go to an alternative platform. If, 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 if YouTube bans me, I'll have to fire everybody. That's it. Everyone's fired. I can't, there's, there's no money to pay bills. So this, you know, YouTube controls, they own it. That's why the big move right now is we, we are, uh, uh, working on putting together a proprietary website so that people can become members and get access to premium content. The idea is going to be that we'll, we'll do a show. When we wrap up the live show, we do a bonus 10 minute segment for members only and, and, you know, give a value proposition to everyone, you know, so people who are already members, um, we'll, we'll have to figure it out because I want to make sure everybody gets access to it. It's not super easy, but, um, maybe using the membership thing on YouTube and then also having our own website. If YouTube bans us, then we'll have paying subscribers, but then there's a whole marketing aspect to it. User growth and things like that becomes very difficult and stagnant. My bigger concern is, you know, we, this, this is a company. I have people who are, you know, staff employees. And if I get banned, then I can't have no money to pay anybody. Maybe YouTube's the, uh, monopoly then. It, it, yes. Well, it's Alphabet. It's Google. It's Alphabet. They're nailing Facebook with a monopoly charge, which I think is maybe foolish because if I was saying this before the show, if Zuckerberg has access to all that code and then he has to give up WhatsApp and what's his other company, uh, Instagram, Instagram and WhatsApp, they'll, they'll just, them. they'll rewrite that software function for facebook prime and then right but it's 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 you know they tried that with snapchat when they did i forgot what was called facebook like disappearing messages and it didn't work stories i forgot it was called if if, if facebook created a snapchat clone did take off so they they tried buying they tried buying snapchat they snapchat wouldn't sell they tried cloning it didn't work so it, it could be if instagram is is broken off from facebook they won't be able to recreate what instagram is you know because instagram has the community so they'll have like a do not compete clause along with the, the Sue without, with the breakup. I don't know. Um, I just think that conservatives aren't going to go away. You can ban Steven Crowder, 
And I don't think conservatives are just going to be like, well, I guess, you know, that's it. No, they're going to, uh, I think parlor might be the biggest indicator of, uh, uh, just that they can't get rid of this faction. You know, YouTube, Twitter, uh, the Democrats would love to absolutely erase the populist right and, and the general right from existence in terms of public communication. They can't. And, and, you know, they can't control parlor now. Too many prominent individuals are on it. And I'm surprised Donald Trump hasn't been using it. He absolutely needs to go on there. If Donald Trump only made posts from Parler at this point on, the media would do nothing but say Parler, Parler, Parler. There's another one called yeah. Rumble I keep hearing about. It's a video, video hosting. Library yeah. is another one where you can get crypto. Does but Parler you, KYC, people going on there? And then I also think Trump might lose his Twitter account soon as well. I don't think so. I, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I, they've been saying that the moment Trump uh, is, is, you know, Biden's inaugurated, Trump loses his protections. And then he's got a bunch of tweets already. They'll probably just get rid of, like they'll just ban him. But um, I think it was Michael Malice who said this. They're not going to get rid of him because he's too much of a, a prominent character that generates, you know, traffic for the site. Before Trump became really active, Twitter was dying. The mainstream media was dying. Yes. Yeah. Ratings yeah. were collapsing. Until I got Trump this came. feeling like we should put media presence on every site, on Rumble, Library, Minds, Facebook, Instagram. But it's like, I don't want to. I We should just have our own site, our own thing that we own i don't like the isp you know there used to be a little bit of technology that made that very easy but it seems to have faded away do any of you remember something called rss yeah because yeah. rs <laughs> look if you think about it if everybody had their own social media rss feed then nobody would centrally control it it'll all be sort of network and you just subscribe to the rss feed that you want and it generates what you know, it would have been your feedback in the day but you know i guess your timeline we call it now and it'll all be completely independent so that's that's how podcasts work yeah so uh for people who aren't familiar, I don't upload to iTunes. I upload to a server which produces a, an RSS link, and then all the podcast directories just have the link of you know. Right, but, but back in the day, this business to business RSS feeds for podcasts and other things like that, right? Because the the services need something wrong. But back in the day, a person right. would click the link to yeah, I want to share this, you know, have this RSS feed, and actually Google canceled. Was it Reader? Was their big RSS tool? Yes. They yeah. took it away, oh. and and. You know, it just became so far out yeah. of mainstream, but it used to be a great thing. This you'd have news groups, and it was yeah. all it wasn't centrally controlled like it is now. Yeah, this idea of a big central power controlling your algorithm, controlling your timeline, is absolutely insane. It's one of the reasons I hear some people on on the internet say the revolution won't be in your timeline or in your newsfeed. But there's also another aspect to this that we have to understand that. There have even been psychological studies showing how the algorithms could manipulate people's emotions and feelings and that Fa certain algorithms can make you feel sad. Facebook admitted they were doing experiments on people. Exactly. To, and on, on unsuspecting only, individuals, yeah. not people who wanted to participate, but people who they were looking into and, and data feeding, harvesting so much information about them that it's absolutely scary because as we were talking about, I don't know if we were talking about this on the show, Facebook knows when you go to take a dump. Yeah, uh, to that level of certainty and they know so much about you and they data harvest every little aspect of you and now they're toying and they probably already figured this out how to manipulate people's emotions and feelings and to make you feel scared sad and horrified or happy productive good and then when you the look only, at the mental health crisis in america it really makes you wonder what's going on the and only then, thing that gets rid of the constitution yeah. is a civil war well, that's one thing that might get rid of the Constitution, but I'm sure there could be other or things. Or Biden also. presidency. I don't know. <laughs> could, I mean, he, the, he, the Supreme he, Court, though, think about it. For a long time, despite the Constitution having a Second Amendment, 
it was just completely ignored. Yeah. No one pay- so I, just getting enough judges who interpret the Constitution, or, you know, they start inventing rights, they find right. penumbras, um, legislate, uh, litig- uh, ordering judicially things that aren't, aren't remotely in the Constitution, just invent it. So, um, but you know, the solution to this whole social media thing, all the centralized control, you know what the, the answer to this is, right? We all just have to get our ham radio operators licenses, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the answer. That's the that's where the revolution has to happen. I bought well, one a few months a, ago, and and I think there's uh, I could be wrong, but internet over ham, there's a way to get like like text over ham, uh, or geolocation, like yeah. t- you know all kinds of ways to yeah. So we could exactly. create we could create a ham Twitter. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we got to go to super chats. We're going long. You ready for, for Super Chats? They're going to ask a bunch of questions you probably can't answer. I don't know what a Super Chat is. <laughs> but user I'll, comments. Okay, cool. Questions and comments. Uh, all right. I, I'm not going to read this one. Okay, I'm going to read it. Maybe I don't know. I shouldn't read it. Read I, who I've it's got from. a thick skin, and I've had... No, no, no. It's just dangerous. Read who it's from so they know what... Nine they're... Unbuffed said, just say when, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. Yep. Gwyneth Kobach says, Tim, thanks, uh, thanks, Tim, for your show. My little kids love having your show on as they fall asleep. So you must be doing something right. Keep it milk toast. That's interesting. I'm calling yeah. Child Protective to, Services. I used, I used to listen to uh, Love Line when I was, when oh, I was I like love that a show. young teenager with like Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. Yeah. Mine was Beavis and Butthead. Well, yeah. I mean, I watch that too. But like you turn the radio on and you hear Adam Carolla. Yeah. And, nine o'clock. Go to sleep. Joel Jamal says, just broke this on my channel. Here in Australia, we had a vaccine developed back in April this year by university in the state of SA. It received a seven out of seven international peer review rating. They developed it so quickly because they just continued their work on the SARS, uh, the SARS virus. Oh, interesting. So uh, uh, did you hear about the uh, um, Bell's palsy and the allergic reactions from the Pfizer vaccine? Yes. So this is an important PSA for everybody just, you know, while we have the vaccine. As the FDA today approved the Pfizer vaccine to be used in the United States in a vote for 17 that said yes, four said no, and one person abstained. The UK has said... And this is a legitimate warning. I, I can't believe people are accusing me of being anti-vax for telling you what the, what the health administration, the, the NHS is telling people. Um, if you have a severe rea- allergic reaction, you, you should not be getting this vaccine, uh, because several people have developed, uh, I believe it's 0.685% developed anaphylac- mm-hmm. an anaphylactic reaction, meaning your eyes swell, your throat could swell. And, uh, two nurses in the UK needed uh, a shot of epinephrine, an auto injector. So the UK has said it can only be administered in a place where re- resuscitation measures are, are possible. Yeah. So- so this is like if you're going to go get it, make sure you're getting it at a proper facility. And and if you have allergies, the UK, we're, we're not UK citizens. So take your advice from your doctor in the US. But this is something that's happening. And that's 68 people out of a thousand are having yeah. severe anal- anaphylactic shock. Yeah. And I think they said uh, you have one in 200 chance of severe, severe side effects. Not trying to freak anybody out or anything. Just trying to make sure no, people get the proper it, advice. Yeah. And this, this is what the news organizations have have issued. So this is not like this is the Guardian, you know, saying this stuff. They want everyone to know. Yeah. If you what, look at the side effects list, it's a little daunting. Sorry. Go ahead. What could possibly cause anaphylactic shock? Because the way anaphylactic shock works is it's it's the second exposure to the triggering element. Well, so it could be like. Uh, well, it's, there's got to be something in there that you've. Exp- yeah, experience before to but get the anaphylactic. Maybe they had it, COVID. It could be a previously. preservative that's in cereals. It could be a preservative. Maybe they had it COVID previously. And it's then not COVID. Getting... It's it's the it, it, it could be anything. It's, they don't know the way the vaccine works. I watched it. I watched a two minute documentary on it. Is it's it, an two minutes now? The, um, there's like 19 proteins in the, the the virus, I think, and it encodes for the one of the 18 or 19, the outer layer that makes the virus connect, and then your body thinks it has that protein, and then when it sees it, it's ready for it. 
So if you already had that in your system and then you get it a second, but the, the vaccine in your body thinks you're getting it again, maybe it could go it's, into it's, shock. And it's common in medications that there could be an anaphylactic reaction. So that's why they're not freaking out. They're just saying if you have allergies, this is actually typical for vaccines. You should, you know, wait. Did you get the specifics? What vac? What allergies? Or is it like they don't, don't take it if you're know. allergic to it? Just you if see, you have if you have severe allergies, don't take. Do you it. see the warnings now on on a lot of pharmaceutical commercials? Do not take exosesprin if you're allergic to it. Yeah. Like what kind of stupid suggestion? <laughs> All right, let's read some more super chats. Einar says to Matt, please make a dead man switch for your info and have it guaranteed to go public in February. Tim should be able to help you make one. That's not a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a bad suggestion. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it. it's not a hard thing to do. You, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't even necessarily, necessarily say dead man switch. You should set it up so that it's scheduled to release after the resolution or whatever, you know? Yeah, but even more than that is that it doesn't need a dead man switch because almost all of this is, could be reproduced by anybody. It's not only that, reproducible. but don't many, aren't there many, many individuals who already have copies of all of it anyway? That is true, but it's not necessarily a dead man switch, which right, is very right, right. I've yeah. never had one before, so I think it's time. It would yes. be cool. Yeah, it would be cool <laughs> just to have, to just be able to say, by the yeah. way, if something happens to me. That'd be awesome. Oh. All right, let's see. I'm not your buddy guy says, why do we chalk up all voting fraud and propriety to always being too small to change elections? If a spouse cheats, does it get worse or stay uh, the same over time? When someone steals, does it get worse over time? So why uh, would voting be any different? This is one of the problems I think we have with the court system. They say like you need injury, in fact, in order to file a suit. But then so that means that the impropriety can continue until someone re receives damages enough. So uh, a better example would be defamation. When, when, when I've had news outlets and, you know, activists outright lie and make things up, every, it, it, you can't do anything about it because the lawyers will ask you, what's your damages? And it's like, okay, well, this is caused a threat to my advertisers. Okay. How many advertisers have you lost? I'm like, are you, are you serious? I have to wait until my business collapses before I can do anything about this. They'll just keep doing it. Exactly. It's like the opposite of the broken window theory, the Giuliani version, not the economics version. Is that if, if, if you tolerate a, a neighborhood with uh, broken windows, you just tolerate because it's such a minimal infraction to the law, no big deal, or you tolerate uh, uh, jaywalkers, well, then you just encourage greater and greater crimes. But if you crack down on the smaller crimes, it will abate. So in the same way, if right. you crack down really hard on defamation, regardless of economic damages or instances of people casting illegal ballots, uh, it, will abate, it will counter the, the more substantial or prevent it from growing. Here's the most important question. Corey Williams says, what happened to your hand? Trump 2020, use the money well. So uh, I was skating uh, earlier today and uh, I was hanging out, you know, uh, with, with Adam, we were skating and I had just done a 5-0 on the ledge and 5-0, for those that aren't familiar, it's a very basic, easy grind. And Adam was like, yeah, and like clapping. And I was like, oh, dude, that's nothing. That's like a, a basic trick. And he was like, dude, take the, take the, the, you know, the compliment. And I was like, I'll do a Nolly 5-0 shove it first try. And so this is a, a little bit more complicated. And it is something I can typically do first try. But here I was all arrogant, like, you think that was cool. Watch me do this. And then I went whoop, flipped over, slammed on my hand. And I actually thought I broke it, but it's just sprained. So uh, the moral of the story is this is something every skateboarder uh, is supposed to know. You don't screw around and you respect the trick when you're always doing it because you always get hurt whenever you're like just goofing off. And so here I am like, I'm just going to do this. And, I'm, you know, I wasn't thinking and I slipped and there you go. But uh, it's mostly fine. Also, learn how to take a compliment, Tim. I know. You're great at your job. <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it, was, it was more of like a hokey joke where like Adam was laughing and I'm like, oh, yeah. I was like, check this out. You know what I mean? And then I fell because like, there you, you go. Not you should see the new setup, though. We're building a bar. 
It's going to be called the Grind Bar. Dude. Skateboarders understand. It's an actual bar you can drink on and you can grind on it. So we have uh, the, the, the skateboard construction company that built everything left this really long, you know, bar. I, think, I, forgot, I forgot what it's made of. But uh, it's great for grinding on a skateboard. Grinding on a skateboard is when you jump up and, you know, the metal part of the, of the, the, the trucks, the wheel part, slides across the metal. And so we're making a bar and the front of the bar is going to be grindable. So we're going to call it the Grind Bar. Yeah. But it's an actual bar you can like sit down. Yeah, so and we're actually going to have drinks and, you know, people are going to work as a workshop. We got a 3D printer and, and stuff. Yeah. It's going to be really, really Laser cool. Laser incoming. All right, let's see. We just got to, this one just came in, so I'll read this one now. Logan Matthew says, please look up the OBDM podcast on YouTube. The host, Midnight Mike, his birthday is tomorrow and he has put in over 15 years building his community. As a gift, I thought I could try to get you both in touch. The world would be better place with both, uh, with you both had a conversation. All right. Midnight Mike and the OBDM podcast. Ready to Rumble says Tim constantly kissing YouTube's arse. I mean, well, I, do, I would disagree with that. I mean, you know, what wait the, till you see what happens tomorrow. Yeah. One of the reasons <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, you have me on, which is like pretty. I mean, you're taking a principal stand, which is commendable. And Luke, you Luke got to give respect to that. YouTube hates Luke. Yes. I, I have. Uh, I had many encounters with Eric Schmidt that were pretty interesting uh at Bilderberg to say the least so uh, you know i appreciate what you're doing you're making a stand and that's commendable and hey, don't, um yeah, yeah don't don't ever uh, hesitate to pick up the enemy's ammunition off the ground it's yep. figurative figuratively yes. figuratively yes. You know, there's, there's, there's an old uh, there's an old story of um i can't remember it maybe people in the chat will know the story but there was like i think it was like britain and france or whatever fighting and what one side did was they made it so their arrow notches were really really thin and small that way, th- their bows, which use a thinner string, could fire back the enemy's arrows, had a large notch, but the enemy couldn't fire back their arrows that had a small notch. Get it? It's clever, huh? Yep. This is a good metaphor for what you're doing right now, right? Don't let your enemy use your ammo against you and be prepared to counter what they're using, you know. All right, let's see. Waffles Sensei says, Tim, you can still talk about everything you want on YouTube without getting censored. You just have to say the opposite thing with really heavy sarcasm. And then you will know it's, uh, if it's the algorithm or people watching. <laughs> well, that's the joke we were talking about earlier. Like if we were uh, – if I said something uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid using the full joke because I'd probably get banned. But if I went, of course that's why Joe Biden won. Just very – okay, for those that are listening, I just did a really heavy and obvious <laughs> wink at the camera. I that think was, they could hear it. It was so heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you just – you know. If you were like, I absolutely think Joe Biden legitimately won. He's the greatest president of all time. They'll build facial recognition to tell. But I wonder if in the future when the AI comes and tries and fights us, if sarcasm is going to be how we win. Well, I think what would happen is we'll be sitting here talking. And then as soon as you cross the line, the gigantic mech robot will walk up the stairs and go like, drop the sarcasm. (laughs) I'm like, okay, okay. And like the guns go. No, 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 no. no. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. And then it walks away. No, I think uh, there was an Outer Limits episode where they had this thing called the stream, where there were like modems all over the place, and they was hooked into their brains, and it it always knew it was like essentially sentient. So it'll be more like that, you know. We'll be neural LinkedIn. You know, I'll tell you this. A lot of, you're familiar with neural link, right? Yes. Elon Musk's, yeah. you know, everyone's good. You know, I think Luke, you're not going to get it, right? <laughs> I think that's it. Are you going to get it, Matt? You, I am not intending to surrender any of that. I I, I was uh. uh I, I, I could be, you know, remembering this wrong because it's been like 20 years, but my grandpa was talking to me about social security numbers 
and how he thought it was insane that we got registered with a number with the government and how crazy was that. But for me, he was like, you don't care because it's, it's, it's always existed. It's normal for your life. But he's like, this is nuts. I think he was, when, when did the social security number thing happen? It was like the 1930s. 30s. Well, it was yeah. FDR. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So my, my grandpa was like, I think he was a kid or a teenager. There was a big pushback was, against that. Yeah, they thought it was insane. Like, I got to get a number? Are you nuts? In fact, the law was specified. It was printed on the Social Security card itself mm-hmm. that it is not allowed to be used as identification. Wow. Yep. Oh, how times The old changed. Social Security yep. cards have that. Now they and now, it's, now it is. These now numbers and these track these are tracking device numbers with your personal phone the number. The idea of the phone. Yeah, the number you can change your phone number. But So I think in, in 50 years, everyone's going to be Neuralinked, and they're going to be like, who wouldn't want the Neuralink? Wait one second, I'm getting a, a message from our sweet overlord. You know they can yes, track master. you with this thing. <laughs> yeah. That's what, what they're going to say to the, each other. The like, you know the Neuralink, you can get tracked with the Neuralink, and they'll be like, yeah, I know. It's going to be like people are going to get installed, the, uh, um, the Home Assistant Neuralink plugin, and they're going to be sitting there, and they're going to go, and they're just going to say, like, Neuralink. When was X, Y, and Z? And they're going to be like, you have one of those? You, you have the, the assistant in your brain? You're not spying on you, right? Whatever. I want to say so many things about buttoxes, <laughs> but this is a family-friendly show. We can't get into that. Like, we're seeing the same thing, I think. We'll see that evolution with um, automobiles. Remember how hard a fight it was to allow AI-driven cars on the road? Like, you know, California, they, they wouldn't allow it. Or certain restrictions very hard. And it's kind of edging that way. And I, I believe that our our children's generation are probably going to grow up with it the other way around. So you need a special license if you can get one at all to drive your own yeah, car yeah. because it's, you're only going to be allowed to be in an AI-driven car. I don't know why I'm thinking about Michael Hastings now, but I am. You know, yeah. yeah. For those that aren't familiar, I'll give you the quick gist. One day he went to his neighbor. He's a journalist. He was, who was he working on a story about? Um, top military officials and intelligence There's a specific agencies. guy. Uh, yeah, but, well, I forgot well, the general's name. So he went to his neighbor's house and he said that he had seen someone fiddling around under his car and wanted to borrow his neighbor's car. And his neighbor said, no, you can't use my car. And then uh, I think it was what that night his car was going 70 miles an hour down. Was it Wilshire Boulevard in L.A. and hit a tree and exploded? Yeah, it was like two in the morning, and I think it was after he left the bar. So there was yeah. some ideas that maybe he was wasted and like depressed. But they, that was usually if, if the CIA is going to have you killed, they try and make you look depressed and that it was a suicide. Wasn't Joe yeah. Biggs uh, his friend? I, I mean, know. a lot of people were friends with him. He was, yeah. he was, I think he was more of like a uh, in like the Glenn Greenwald kind of circles. Yes. So yes. AI cars, careful is what you're saying. All right, let's do some more yes. super chats. Naomi Mathias says when Tim Pool and Rush Limbaugh say the same thing, has to be political singularity. I could be wrong. Um, I could be absolutely wrong about all the Civil War stuff. The only thing I can say is, for all I know right now, the lawsuit gets booted, and then all of these Republican states go, oh, well, and then it's over, right? Sure. Maybe. Or maybe we've just been seeing constant escalation the entire time, and now we have the most extreme escalation, states lining up against each other. But for real, it could just stop. I have no idea. I can't predict the future. Who knows what's going to happen? So uh, One super chat, they just said... uh, that, like countries have gone to civil war for way less than what we're seeing now. Yeah. But I have to imagine it's not going to be like right now. What happens? The Supreme Court, I, I imagine they're not going to take it. I really do. Um, cause I've read a lot from people on the left and the right why the Supreme Court would not want to take this. And they might not. I don't think anything would happen right away. But what happens in, you know, next year when, you know, Joe Biden says he's going to, he's going to order a 100 day like mask mandate nationwide or whatever. People are going to say no. They're absolutely going to say no. And then that's that's a really dangerous precedent because it precipitates a la- loss of confidence in government. And government is nothing but the confidence of the people. The commander says Trump should split with the reps and make a Trump party. 
From there, he should take over the Alliance Party, which is centrist, made of 15 smaller popular centrist parties, and appeal to central Democrats and libs. Tim should like Alliance. Oh, check it out. All right, let's see. Rita Ho says, CCP has moved forward with their agenda and start to pave the path for Kamala to take over by investigating Hunter Biden. Well, what people are saying now about the stories coming out that Hunter Biden is compromised and Joe is that it's uh, it's not an accident. They need a reason to remove Joe Biden and make Kamala Harris the president now. So now they're going to be like, oh, no, Joe, he's whatever. But I think that's a bit too conspiratorial. I think these the, I think what really happened is nobody wanted to do the story like you were saying, because they didn't want to be the journalist who hurt Joe Biden. And now the election's over. They don't care. And they're going to cover the story because it gets some clicks. So based says four Democrat senators sent a letter to YouTube on November 24th, suggesting censorship of election fraud speech on YouTube, government censoring through private business. Yup, absolutely. Marcus Pinson says earlier this week, Ian said he wanted to be able to make his own ammo from scratch. I've been working on something for a few years that I think is right up his alley. I messaged him on Instagram. Tell him to hit me up. I promise it's really cool. I got a lot of response about that. One person said, hey, you said you wanted to make ammo. I got some advice for you. Don't bother. Uh, it's almost impossible to find primer. Someone else yeah. suggested yes. that if we yep. can yeah. get the primer, they'll make it for us. Um, it seems like a huge and really complex. Only thing. four then, factories make primer in the United States, and they're all fulfilling government contracts. And you need like the explosives license to make manufacture powder. I it's, think it's extremely uh, difficult. You need a huge investment, and there's a big process, and you barely get a return on your investment. All things said, I yeah. haven't responded to anyone about it because I was a little overwhelmed. And yeah. maybe it's just something we shouldn't focus on right now. I don't know. See, brokages, uh, brokages over hokages. I said brokages until I saw the last word and then I understood the reference. Says, Tim, you always talk about the Spanish Civil War when the scenario would be more closer to the Russian Civil War, where the Bolsheviks owned the cities and the whites were more in the rural areas and past the Urals. Uh, perhaps. It's because I watched a documentary on the Spanish Civil War uh, two years ago. And at the time, there was like parallels and people were talking about it quite a bit. But uh, since then, I've only, you know. I've, I've not watched, but I'll, 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 I'll read up and watch something about the uh, Russian Civil War as well. A lot of people are comparing it to the Chinese Cultural Revolution to what's happening now as well. Yes. Yeah. More than the, Ru the Russians were at World, it was World War I, which we're not in right now, and they had a monarchy, which we don't have. But the Chinese were like the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, into that. Or maybe closer to Cambodia, Khmer Rouge. It's true. Pol Pot. Yes. Yikes. Yeah. Man, uh, let's see, MD Adrian says, unspoken problem in the U.S. is that we are not really a people at this time. They have broken us until we have no common language, history, ethnic background, culture, and now no rule of law. What is left to hold us together? The Constitution, I suppose, but a lot of people, the New Republic published an article saying it's time to abolish the Constitution. You know, another country found itself, or barely a country found itself in this position historically. Are any of you familiar with the history of Singapore? No. Well, it... Basically, Singapore was ethnically divided, linguistically, religiously divided. It was so, so, the crime was so bad there that Malaysia actually kicked it out of the country. It said, you're no longer part of us because it's this island on the south of their island chain. It completely got rid of them. And, uh, what pulled it back together was, uh, they had a revolutionary leader, Lee Kuan Yew, who imposed strict nationalism. He imposed a national language, which happened to be English, which didn't make anybody happy because it wasn't their native tongue. He imposed strict rules, uh, anti-corruption, etc., and that was the kind of leadership that built that national unity back up. And, um, you know, when a country gets so far gone, it's, it, you eventually get your Lee Kuan Yew or your perhaps Napoleon, um, or, uh, you know, any of the other examples of somebody who just sort of has to come back in and restore things as a, a national unity leader. 
I think uh, with a Trump presidency and a Trump continuation, you get people building a, a, commu- a community, a, a communal identity around the Constitution, around America. But uh, if we carry on with the path that was, you know, everything before Trump, you get, you know, people are dejected, disconnected. There is constant fighting over, you know, identity based issues. And the interest of the elites is just to enrich themselves as the ship crashes, because why bother if the ship's going down? There was, someone was re- um, referencing Buchanan as one of the worst U.S. presidents ever, and it was the lead-up to the Civil War, I think, James Buchanan, um, and that Biden is kind of reminiscent of a Buchanan, that he's going to be a nobody, know-nothing president. Four years of that's going to drive people just to chaos. And, and what people need to realize, too, as I bring this up a lot, is history is condensed when we read it. So it may be that we get a four years of a Buchanan like Biden, and then it results in the return of Trump in 2024, and then maybe some kind of civil war, or maybe Trump comes back and fixes it. I don't know. But uh, uh, when people read about the civil war or any war, or any history, they read the highlights back to back to back to back to back. You know, if, like, especially if you read Wikipedia, it's like this happened, this happened, this happened. People got to realize, man, there was like months and years where nothing happened. And I think that's one reason why people don't understand it could happen here and we could be in it right now. Because they expect one day to turn the TV on and have a news anchor go, like Anderson Cooper says, ladies and gentlemen, America is in a civil war. And that's like, that's it. That's how we know. No, you you won't. You you really won't. You know, I think what's interesting is, uh, was it seven states seceded from the union before there was a, there was a war? And it was actually, I don't know how long it took after the secession for the, the fire, you know, the, the, the shot at Fort Sumner before it actually kicked off. And then other states seceded. So there's actually a time period where they're like, wow, states have seceded. That's crazy, huh? And then nothing happened. But then there was war, obviously. Rob Ingram says, tuned in late, so I missed everything. Hope your wrist is okay, homie. You, among others, are the reason I'm moving towards starting my own podcast on PoopTube channel. You guys rock your friendly neighborhood Philly personal trainer. Appreciate it, man. Let's see. Sleepy Dan says, just add in 2016 when talking fraud, then YouTube was okay with it. Badumch. Yeah, uh, let's see. Yevgeny says, why not move out of the U.S. to Eastern Europe or other place which is not currently aflames? You know, I was actually looking at uh, Ukraine for a while. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, but you don't have really, the Second Amendment. You know, that's one thing that's very unique yeah. to the United States where people could actually defend themselves. Ukraine, though, cost of living is very affordable. And uh, you have a lot more freedom there than you do in a lot of parts of if Western you are, Europe. If you're a middle class American and you are working remote and you can work out of a place like Ukraine, you're a king. Yes. It's, it's really, it's really crazy. So I think it's like a hundred bucks a month for rent on average. Yeah, well, the 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 uh the income for Ukraine for Ukrainians is really 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 low. So yeah, as an American, it's like you go there, you can have whatever you want. The cost of living, the people, the atmosphere, just life overall is better for a lot of expats. And, yeah, and uh, I know a lot of expats. But again, and I I well you know because I, I when I went there and I covered the Euromaidan stuff, I made friends, yeah. and I'm like, man, so cool. But I'm not Ukrainian, so you know. But I was looking at property because I was like, look how like not not to disrespect Ukrainians, but it's like. If you're a middle-class American, you can get a really fancy pad, man. It's like, cost of living, wow. Crazy. (laughs) An average reactor says, I am a right-leaning libertarian and I want to be involved in journalism because I developed a moral conviction to fight against the establishment that betrays us in broad daylight. Any advice on entry-level options? You know, these days, I really don't know. Yeah. Because I used to just go out and cover stuff, but now it's like people are fighting each other. It used to be so easy. You can't travel anymore. You know, COVID lockdowns. So I don't know what you do. Good Um, luck. I would, yeah. I mean, COVID aside, there's an organization called uh, Leadership Institute, and they excel at placing prospective journalists into programs and give them a little bit, of, a little bit of a subsidy to make it worthwhile and put you into different publications. So I'd say look into that Leadership Institute. Also, we were very lucky because we started before the crackdown. 
now imagine starting brand new right with all these crackdowns that prevent you from reaching a wider audience yep. so 10 years ago it was still sort of easy like you had a good message you you knew a little bit of how to make videos you were golden you were great now you say something wrong about the election you're done and you're no one will ever hear of you yeah Shane says, I'm a union worker and my dad is a union representative. I tried to explain to my dad how Biden is going to hurt us, but he passes me as crazy because he bases his ideology off of mainstream media and what our union overarching authorities say. What do I say to him? Um, man, that's tough. You can say, do you, it depends on the union he's in, but uh, Joe Biden is in favor of free trade agreements, which will likely result in your dad losing his job. So... It's very hard to convince family members, so it's always important not to come at it at a combative way, not to try to force information down his or her throat. It's always important to share information that's important, but come at it from a perspective like, hey, I saw this. I don't know what to think of it. Since you're so much older and wiser, what do you think of this? And that worked specifically well on my uh, on my family yeah. as well, well when it came to a lot of important remember, issues. Uh, the way persuasion works is you convince somebody of something that they think they always and already believed. Yeah. And with in those situations, I would encourage you to, to, to get at your dad the same way the Grand Canyon was built. You find one little crack, one little thing that he clearly kind of disagrees with Biden on, and you kind of put some water in there, you freeze it and expand it. Yeah. And then it makes the crack bigger. And you put water in, freeze it, expand it again, and you keep just find that one thing and use it to open up a, a much uh, bigger well. And before you know it, you know, four years from now, you're like, man, that Biden, what? A, well, so, uh, you know, just hit him. <clears throat> I can tell you one of the basics of uh, opinion manipulation is uh, it's called um, rapport extreme in turn. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's a way you convince someone to move their opinion. Well, first of all, let, let, I'll just go through this whole thing. Um, you can't make someone go from, say, being uh, loving a person to hating a person immediately. You can only push push people within their reasonable boundaries. So if someone says, this is my friend, they're cool. You can't make them say, I hate this person. But you can make them say, yeah, that is kind of annoying. He does that. You do that enough times. Eventually, the person's going to be like, man, he is so annoying. Man, it never stops. You get them to that point. So rapport extreme turn is basically the first thing you have to do is agree with them. So that they feel, you know, like, oh, this is what we agree on. You have, you build a rapport. Now there's a trusting relationship. The extreme is you then present something that you like about Joe Biden that you know your dad can't agree with. The turn is then you acknowledge your dad is right. And that opinion was too extreme. And it was him who convinced you. So an example, uh, what's, what's the best example? Like, okay, let's say war. Joe Biden was uh, uh, part of the Obama administration, got us in more war. He never met a war he didn't like. <clears throat> yep. So what you do is again. the first thing you would say is you'd be like, you know, I was thinking about I think you're right about Joe Biden. You know, he's, he's probably the better choice for a lot of reasons. And then your dad, uh, you know, or your friend or your family member is going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. They're like me now. They're in my tribe. You then give them the extreme opinion they can't accept. I mean, me personally, the reason I like him is because, I mean, how many wars, you know, did, did he did he get us involved in? That was a good thing. And you don't want to be crazy. You just say something that your dad's going to be like, I don't know about that. I think the wars were a problem. You know, I, that's the one thing I don't like about him. So it's similar to what you were saying about finding that thing. And then your response is the turn. All right. Well, OK, I, I guess you're right. The wars aren't a good thing, but, you know, fine. I guess you're right. They've now given you an opinion against Biden and they've affirmed, you know, you were wrong. So it's 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 a it's an old school. Uh, it's like a basic manipulation trick. Seems very deceptive. Absolutely. Can yeah. you do it in a more Sales. loving way? Like I I like that Biden has these things, but I don't the, like the war. So here's the problem. I'll be like, yeah, I guess I see. So your point. this is one of the reasons I stopped working for nonprofits because I hate doing these kinds of things. But 
The, the, the issue is so at fundraising, you know, like raising money for you know how you convince someone to give you money. Oof, it's tough. And, and, and eventually, once you get good at it, you understand the system and how it works and how you're playing this game. The problem is there are people who are naturally good at doing things like this without realizing it. And that's considered morally acceptable. You could just naturally like poke someone and be like, well, I think the wars are great. Then, you know, you know, and it works for you. But people who get really good at it and work at a long time eventually start to understand what they're doing. And then you're like, man, I'm just just pulling people's strings and, and manipulating. I don't like it. So then I, I don't want to be involved in that. You know, I don't want to I don't want to work a job where the goal was to find a way to navigate someone's mind to tr- to convince them. And you can you can justify it any way you want. But I didn't think it was all that entertaining, you know. Anyway, we've gone a little bit over, so I think we'll uh, we'll start to wrap things up. Make sure you smash that like button if you haven't already. Is there anything you want to mention your social media or promote anything or let people know about what's going um, on? Um, yeah, there's longer term solutions to <clears throat> the stuff I'm working on, and if you want to stay tuned or get involved, just follow me on. I'm on Twitter at uh, Matt Brainerd. Um, I'm on Gab and Parlor, so you can find me there. Um, so just. Stay in touch, folks. Right on, man. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Parlor at TimCast. You can check out my other YouTube channels, youtube.com slash TimCast and youtube.com slash TimCastNews. We do this show live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify. Give us a good review. It really does help with the, with the ranking, and then it gets more people to watch. So also share if you think the show is good, and word of mouth really helps. Um, you can also check out uh, the other people who are hanging out here. We have uh, Luke Rudkowski. Yes, I am on YouTube.com forward slash We Are Change. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under Luke We Are Change. And Tim, thank you so much for having me on. I know I am not mainstream media friendly. <laughs> YouTube loves mainstream oh, media. But I appreciate you taking the risk. They don't and, like you. Uh, but what have you said that's been all, all that like, you know, not, crazy? Nothing. And I never yeah. and I never really did. I know. I've always, you know, I like thinking. I like outside the box kind of research. And uh, yeah, I mean, well, maybe what, they'll ban me and they'll be like, we well, <laughs> had Luke on too much. Or whatever. Yeah, it could happen. We also got Ian. He's hanging out. Hi. Um, and then, you know, Luke's so humble. He's got merchandise up the waz. I just want to give a <laughs> shout out. Where, where can they get that? Thank you so much, uh, Ian. Teesprings.com forward slash stores forward slash we are change. And Thank you, Ian. Matt, can people still donate to oh. your organization? Well, we're not asking for donations. I know it's a rare thing for somebody to say, but um, <laughs> just follow me on SockMed. Well, we have more projects coming up. If, so. if someone were to donate to your charity, how would they go about doing that? Um, I would say go to givesendgo.com slash voter integrity. And uh, any money that's left over at the end will go to a permanent uh, patriotic voter registration effort and anti-voter fraud effort. Cool. Thanks. Nice. Thank you. You can follow me at Ian Crossland. Right on. And of course, you can follow at Sour Patch Lids, who's pressing all the buttons. You can. I am pushing buttons like a mad woman over here. My friends, tomorrow is probably going to be the biggest show we've ever had. We're going to get in trouble. It could precipitate the uh, uh, the end, but it's going to be one of the. It's going to be fun, and um, I don't want to call it revenge, you know, but uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So I hope you're ready to come back tomorrow at eight p.m. And uh, I'm sure most people have already figured out what that means. But uh, I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all next time.